audience of you tonight Made my way through the crowd Small talk my way out of sight Made a face at you As of late, my heart and face are quite conflicted everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of kellen's petty talk show this one was a real treat i had a western new york legend on the podcast that's right rochester musician jimmy stat who's most known for being the vocalist of polar bear club a genre defying shredder of a band that lands right between the punk and hardcore scenes in a middle ground that is uniquely them for me polar bear club was one of the best local bands in our music scene buffalo and rochester and even syracuse have always been pretty tight-knit communities that share the wealth of all their great artists PBC defined so much of what the areas had to offer and, in, in my opinion, really pushed the envelope from songwriting styles to performances. Jimmy also plays in Shy Tooth, a newer project that is about to release their follow-up to their debut record, Ultra Suede, which that, that record will give you chills. Let me tell you, it is so damn good. All right, go listen to it. He also plays guitar in the band Bad Bloom, a shoegaze band with added pizzazz, another project you guys definitely need to sink your teeth into. Also, if you're in Rochester, they'll be playing the bug jar on September 30th. So don't wait on tickets. We also got to talk about his movie club, Know You Go, which is this really cool club that he does where basically you make a Discord account if you don't have one already. And you can basically talk in a chat room with each other about movies and stuff. But he also has this like Sunday movie watching thing where where you basically you watch a movie over a week and you you chat about it with with each other live on video conference calls and that just sounds super awesome and i'm, I'm actually going to join myself so if you're interested in that go to his instagram he's got like more information on there and i think his um his linkedin is linked to his instagram so if you go to his bio you'll be able to find all the information out about that but yeah uh thanks so much to jimmy for doing this episode this this really meant a lot to me because you know, just the fact that I've been able to have all these bands that, you know, these are all my favorite bands. Like, let's be honest, Fireworks, Transit, Polar Bear Club. You know, these are all bands that I grew up loving. And especially for being like an East Coast kid, uh, these are the bands that meant the most to me. Well, without further ado, here's a new episode for you. Jimmy Stat, Polar Bear Club. If you like what you hear, please rate the show. Go on Spotify, go on Apple Music wherever you listen to this and just give it a five-star rating. 
that way we can get more people listening to this thing and I can just keep working on awesome guests like this. Um, you know, this, this has been a real treat to be able to do this podcast for as long as I have already, you know, we're, we're almost nearing three years already, which is pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I plan to do a lot more episodes coming up, so stay tuned. And if you would like insider information on upcoming guests, you need to go and follow the Kellen's Petty Talk Show Instagram page where I often post spoilers or uh, what do you call it? Like, like little hint rumor things that I post in the stories. So you'll be able to figure out who's going to be on next by figuring out the hints. And if you're not good at riddles, then I guess you're shit out of luck because you won't be able to figure it out. Um, so yeah, so shoot a follow over on uh, Kellen's Petty Talk Show. If you want to follow me personally, it's Kellen Pembleton and you know definitely follow jimmy let me let me look up his instagram real fast let's see here jimmy it is uh at jimmy pvc which obviously stands for polar bear club uh so go give him a follow uh, check out his discord check out all his upcoming projects shows uh yeah just support a great artist because this guy fucking rules so yeah let's get into it sit back relax and enjoy the show She's doing. I need all layers on me as I interview legends for thee. Grab your friends, your dog, and your fish. It's time to rip a new episode for the kids. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show. So how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just today, I mean, really the main thing in my life right now is my wife and I are about to have a baby. So we're just, just prepping, prepping, prepping. I mean, that's what I've been doing all day. I'll be doing more after this, just getting the room together, doing things. She's due in about a month. So we're really down to it now. So that's the, that's the big thing going on in my life. But other than that, you know, playing music, watching movies, hanging out. <laughs> How stoked are you to be a father? Really stoked. You know, I mean, really, I'm really excited. I mean, we're older, you know, I'm 37. My yeah. wife's 37. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't even think that's older anymore. I think most people are waiting to have kids till around then anyway, but some yeah. people consider that older either way. Um, it's been nice because we've gotten to watch so many other people close to us do it first. Yeah. You know, yeah. we kind of cheated like that a little bit. I mean, not only have we received like so many hand-me-downs because of that, but also just getting to watch friends and family and being like, okay, what you get to, my wife and I are both very like thoughtful people. And, and so, and by that, I mean more like, we think about things, you know, we, we, we mm. see how others behave and think, you know, how would I be in that situation? What, what, what would I do? What do I think about that? You know, we think about yeah. things like that. So that's been really valuable just to see other people raising kids. I mean, I think 
also just where we're at in our relationship, her and I, I'm so much happier to be doing it now than, you know, 10 years ago, we've been together 19 years. And so, you know, we could have done it 10 years ago and, and yeah, but I'm just, I'm happy it's happening now. We're both very excited and nervous and I love kids. I I've worked with kids in the past and just, I feel very happy about I'm honestly, I don't feel worried about like baby age to like, eight or nine i feel like i have that covered it's teen 20s that's the stuff where i'm like that'll be something for me to learn you know i i uh yeah no i don't that doesn't come natural to me no i feel like having kids is not something you want to rush anyways like my parents didn't have me until they were 40 um but i feel like you're just a lot more mature the older you are and it's just easier to take on once you know you've challenged all your younger years and you know exactly less on your plate i guess and also i just like i don't my our life has been this way for a very long time yeah you know we have lived as two childless young people for a very long time and we've done everything you know that we wanted to do with that so we're not not necessarily like coming to it from a place of oh well i didn't do this yet or i didn't do that yet we've been in a good groove for a while so we're also kind of ready for a little bit of a shake up you know and yeah. i think that's a good way to go into it we're not gonna there's no like resentment about the timing you know it's just like yeah let's let's get into this yeah didn't you guys live in uh, new york city for a little bit we lived in jersey city which or jersey is, city i have to qualify because it is essentially new york city but if yeah anyone from New York city is listening to this. They'll scoff at that, but it's <laughs> the same fucking thing. <laughs> it's yeah. the same thing. But either way, I lived in Jersey city for about five years. Oh, her cool. and I, yeah. What made you want to re- relocate back to Rochester? You know, we, I think that was always part of the plan. Um, we only really moved down there because when my wife graduated school, that's where she got her job. And I was touring at that time. So I was really like, yeah, I mean, I can live anywhere, you know, as long as there's an airport nearby, I'm fine. Yeah. And so we moved down there and it was great. I mean, it was, we knew the whole time we were not going to be like city lifers, you know, I mean, really just our family is up here. Our friends are up here. Um, And we knew we wanted to buy a house at some point and like, come back home. And if we were ever going to have kids raise them here around our friends and family. And so that was always kind of part of it. Um, And so the timing was just kind of lucky. I mean, I was working down there. She was working down there. We actually worked in the same office building, uh, different companies. Yeah. Um, And then I just, we were just like at the five year mark, just like, all right, we got to start making moves here. Let's, let's start looking at houses in Rochester and then we'll address like the work thing later. Yeah. You know, we'll figure that out later. We'll ask the companies like, Hey, can we, this was before this, at this point I've lived now back here five years. So this was five years ago. Yeah. So remote work was not as not what it is now. And so we were like, all right, we'll figure that out later. And we looked at this house that I'm in right now. It was the only house we looked at. And by the time we looked at it again, housing market, completely different thing as compared to what it is now. Um, by the time we looked at it, it was sold already cash offer and we were the backup offer and the cash deal fell through. And we just Ugh. like aggressively were like, hi, us here, here, here. And it happened so quickly. The first cash deal fell through on a Thursday. We submitted our offer on a Friday. They accepted on a Saturday. 
we still lived in Jersey City having our jobs and we just bought a house in Rochester. And we were just like, oh crap, did this, <laughs> <laughs> did we do this correctly? But some serendipitous things happened. I got laid off like a week oh, after that. Yeah. Um, Ashley's job let her go remote. So it was just stuff was falling into place. And we're like, all right, it's time. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, Western New York's a way better place, I think, to raise a family anyway. And, you know, I'm, I'm from Buffalo, so yeah. I, I really miss it up there. But, um, yeah, I think that's a way better place to raise a family. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's true. But I also would have come back here if we weren't going to have kids. I, yeah. I, I love this area. I love being mm-hmm. from here. I love what it has to offer. And I, I have it's funny. Like if you ask any of my band friends who like come through Rochester and hang out with me, they would, they would probably like think of me as like the mayor of Rochester. Cause all I do is drive them around and be like, well, this is this and this yeah. is that. And here's this cool thing. And I yeah. <laughs> am really proud to be from here. And I have a little chip on my shoulder about it. I think not, not aggressive, not like a New Jersey style, Long Island style chip, but I do really strongly believe that there has to be like global national artistic output from small towns. It can't all come from New York and LA. And I, I would have come back here regardless and tried to like carve out a niche for myself here. It's great music scene here. Great like food and drink scene here. I love living here. I love being from here. I get a little upset when I hear people talk smack on it, but you know, it, <laughs> it is what it is, but, but it is a great place. I, and it's just, obviously it's our home, you know? So like we are maybe yeah. a little biased, but my speed is more like a college town, you know, like I, yeah. even if I didn't live here, I, I would have moved to like an Asheville or a Raleigh Durham, you know, like yeah, a college town where it's like, you can get, the the chillness but also you can get the arts stuff yeah if you if you need it you know so that that's it's the perfect place for me are you super close to like rit no i live in brighton so i'm on i'm really close to the city it's probably the suburb that is closest to the city it's Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's technically considered an urban suburb but maybe it is but i'm essentially so central i'm 10 minutes from everything including rit i could get to anywhere in 10 minutes so yeah is it crazy that i missed the snow <laughs> like <laughs> no, i feel like because we, we grow up with that you know like yeah. i feel like it's just a, it's a part of our nature at, at some point you know well and also i did not i'm starting to realize in recent years how much that has affected my personality in ways yeah. that i don't necessarily think of as as bad for example like at this point Around first week of August, I start to get really sick of the summer. I mean, and it's not even the heat. It's just like the activity level. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. like, like in the winter, I mean, this is why I like, this is, this is, the winter is so integral to who I am. Yeah. If you think about it, because everything kind of shuts down. Everyone stays inside. I love the winter. I love hunkering down and watching movies and recording music and writing music. I feel like in the summer, I don't really feel like I'm myself in the summer. I I don't write as much. I don't watch as much. Less productive. Yeah. I'm just going to things. I'm going to events. I'm going to birthday parties. I'm going and hanging out, which is great. But I'm starting to realize that when you live in Rochester, 
your balance happens on or any place that has extreme weather like that your, your balance just happens on a different time frame it's not like you know like oh my gosh i was so busy last week i'm gonna hunker down this week it's yeah. like oh my god your balance is seasonal like it's that hibernation point. in a weird way and i i i really like that i like the snow too i like I, I, some buddies of mine and myself, we started doing like winter night hikes where we'll just be like, Hey, really? fuck the snow, 9 PM. Let's, <laughs> let's grab some beers. Let's, like snowshoe? We, we, try to, we don't snowshoe, but we oh. try to plan it for like a snowstorm. Yeah. And so we'll suit up and we'll just go into like Ellison park after hours and we'll just hike down to the quarry. Oh yeah we'll just fucking trudge we will trudge and it is really really fun it's fun it's awesome just to feel like you know i'm not confined to this season yeah i yeah. can make it my own no that's awesome yeah i actually have uh, family up in pittsford you know where that is yeah it's right next to me it's, it's oh, okay. the yeah. suburb right next to mine so it's probably it, i live you could throw a rock and hit pittsford i live right on the border <laughs> yeah oh that's cool yeah. Awesome. Didn't, didn't Wegman start in Rochester too? Or am I wrong? Yes, it did. It did. Yep. Yeah. It did. Best grocery store in the world. Yeah. You know what? They're kind of on my shit list right now. Um, Why wow, they charge, so, they're charging a lot now. I heard. Oh yeah. It's crazy. They, you know what it is. Wegmans is such an interesting thing because when you don't, when you're from here and you don't live yeah. here, uh, you love it. You yeah. absolutely love it. You miss it because there is nothing like it in the rest yeah. of the world. Um, I remember when I was in my office in Jersey city, once I used to work for a company that was owned by Amazon and, um, we got this email one day that was like, Hey, Amazon, Hey everyone, Amazon's ranked number one in like, it's this thing. I think it's called the Harris scale of business award. And essentially it's like, a the award winners are determined by a cross-referencing of obviously size and profit and community outreach and effort and sort of a, and, and and employee satisfaction it's those three things and whoever ranks the highest wins this harris award yeah and we got an email at amazon because we were number one that year and number two was verizon and number three was wegmans number four was apple number five was yahoo number six was all these Disney, you know, huge companies. Yeah. And everyone in the office was like, what the fuck is Wegmans? What, what is this up doing up here? And I used to work with a guy in that office who was from Seneca Falls and we okay. sat next to each other and we just stood up and we were like, listen up everybody. Here's what Wegmans is. And here's how great it is. But now that I'm back home, I'm kind of losing the love a little bit. A yes, they've jacked their prices up so much. Yeah. And you know, they, they, they have some questionable tactics around like, the Wegmans label, you know, like, um, oh, really? Yeah, you know, they 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 shelve a local product for a while, they sell it, it gets popular, and then all of a sudden that product gets taken off the shelves, and a very similar Wegmans branded product takes its place. Um, weird, it can be a little you honestly going into Wegmans because sometimes I go into tops and sometimes I go into Aldi, yeah, and you forget about other brands that exist because as so much 70, 80% of what's in Wegmans right now is Wegmans brand, which a lot of it's good. A lot of it's not. And you know, yeah. at the end of the day, large companies are going to do it. Large companies are going to do, um, yeah. but there is nothing like it in the rest of the world. That is an institution. Yeah. Their Oreos definitely taste weird. I'll give oh, you that. Yeah. 
yeah, they're not as good <laughs> they, as regular Oreos. <laughs> they have things that they do really well, like yeah. um, some of the cereals, you know, some of the like sauces and dressings yeah. and that and like um the prepared section is good but um some of it is just like i would i would never do a wegman's brand like yeah like oreo yeah. Would, ne- would never do that my like number one thing to get when i go home is bison dip oh like, yeah chip dip. The, the chip oh, dip yeah miss it so much love a good give me a ruffled lace <laughs> yeah. and just a french onion bison oh, oh so good yeah. go to town <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, let's uh, let's talk about your new movie club. Uh, it's called Know You Go. It's on Discord. I actually just yeah. joined this morning and I was talking awesome. to people on there. It's kind of cool. Um, what is it and how can people be a part of it? Yeah, I mean, it is. I'm glad you're asking me about this because so many people are like scared of it or yeah. intimidated by it. And everyone in the group, when we hear that, we kind of laugh a little bit because I think people's instinct is it's like, a little more hoity-toity than it is. Yeah, It is such a diverse group of people. And by diverse, I mean everything. I just mean like yeah. film knowledge, I, uh, you know, prerequisite film knowledge, taste. It is so polite and casual. Sometimes I am in the meetings and I'm like, how did all these insanely nice people come together? Everyone is just so nice and kind and welcoming and non-judgmental. It's, I think a lot of people think of like the cinephile world as they do, as it used to be in the nineties, like <laughs> re- comic book store guy, record store guy. That's really not what cinema world is anymore. I mean, the, uh, cinema film criticism isn't even like that anymore. It, it is one of the most welcoming kind open places in terms of like people who get really into a specific kind of art and the movie club is is that you know in spades so essentially it is it exists on discord and you can join it in whatever capacity you like some people just engage in the chats and they can never make the sunday video meeting that's fine uh, some people do the Sunday meeting only and don't do the chats. Some people just follow along with the films at home and say nothing. You know, yeah. you you really can do it any way you like. But the overall structure is we meet on Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern, which is kind of just the time that fit the best because there's people in the UK. There's people on the West Coast. Yeah. 3 p.m. Eastern on Sundays kind of is the That's a good best time. for all of us, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we meet then and we talk about the movie that was picked the week before. Um, you So a movie is announced on Sunday or Monday. And essentially you've got the whole week to watch it, watch it on your own time. It's not a group watch situation. Okay. Sometimes we do that, but we'll typically pick like a, we'll do like a watch along together, but it'll be like a funnier, sillier movie. Yeah. You don't, maybe you don't have to pay as much attention to, Yeah, but the core setup is movie gets picked on Sunday or Monday, watch it on your own time sometime before the next Sunday. And then we're all going to get together on a video call and chat about it on Sunday at three and then pick next week's and on and on and on and on and on we go. That's um, so, so cool. It's really straightforward. And if you've, you can see all the films we've watched on discord, but also if you go to my letterbox, I, I track all the films and the know you go lists on my letterboxd profile 
you can see the truly eclectic mix of films that we watch. And we started doing themes about a year ago. So essentially we do a month of themes. Yeah. And then the person who gets selected first of the next month also picks the theme and the first film of that theme. And the themes are anything. I mean, New York city was one of them. I saw that film set in New York city. Um, ridiculous comedies you know um anything we also have like a library of themes in the discord so if you get picked to select a theme and you can't think of one there's a library of like at this point it has to be over a hundred that we've put in that would be like this would make a great theme this would make a great theme so it's totally casual welcoming open um if anyone has listened to this and has any interest in it whatsoever just join and, you know, see what it's like. You you also can join the chats and not partake in conversation if you don't want to. You can just hang and listen. You know, it's it's really, really super casual. Is there like a limit to how many people can join the video meetings? We haven't had to do that yet um, because we're in a groove now where in the actual, in the server itself, there's probably like 80 people. Now, of that 80, there's maybe like 20 or 30 that engage in the chat. And of that 20 and 30, there's about 10 to 12 that are consistently in the video calls. Okay. So that's enough to manage. You know, essentially, we go around the room. It's kind of classroom style, like, hey, you know, Kellen's turn. What'd you think of the film? Yeah. And then we go around until everyone's said their piece and then it's open forum sometimes if we don't have a lot of people in the chat we'll just go totally open forum but um we haven't had to limit the number of people in the video calls yet just because it's been manageable but if it grows out you know maybe we will or maybe we'll have to do something or think of something but we haven't had to cross that bridge yet get like like a lottery going or something you can also do like i haven't explored this but i think there's like breakout rooms that you can do in discord like you can do in zoom or or what have you honestly you know we haven't had to think of those things yet there's been maybe one or two meetings where i've been like damn that was a lot of people and it felt like super rushed but that doesn't happen very much we've got a core group that's in there all the time so it, it ranges from like oh there's five people this week to oh there's 12 people this week and that's pretty manageable. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a super big fan of letterbox though. I always go on there even, even for my favorite movies. I don't know if you do this, but like I'll go to my favorite movies and I will look at the worst reviews for them. Yeah. It is so entertaining. Letterbox is (laughs) such a great companion to like a movie fan. I also use it. I use it as my memory now too. Yeah. Like, what did I watch this month? Love when it. someone asks me like, what have you been watching lately? <laughs> I have to pull up letterbox now and be like, well, let me tell you, cause I don't really remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are very often posting hilarious letterbox reviews in the movie club of the films we're watching just to be like, uh, there's someone who does it pretty regularly. Just like, Hey, everyone just want to put some screenshots in here of the most hilarious letterbox reviews yeah but letterbox too i think is so great because there's not a lot of ways to engage with it obsessively like 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 and i pay for the 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 pro account so i don't have to deal with the ads um it's 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 foolproof from addiction in a way because it's objective oriented 
I, at least for me, I don't look at it very much, like not compared to Twitter, or Instagram, which I'm on, you know, ch- those are the things I check throughout the day. Yeah. I go to Letterboxd very intentionally and, and I'm not on it very long when I use it. And I just, it's nice to have a, a social media account that doesn't like suck you in, yeah. you know, like it's about something else. It's about watching movies. That's what you should be doing. Yeah, Watch definitely. the films and come to Letterbox as a companion to that other activity, exactly. which is a very healthy way to look at social media, I think. Yeah, I gave up Twitter a while back. I just kind of stick to Instagram and Facebook and stuff. See, um, I, I, I gave up Facebook and I do Instagram and Twitter really? and honestly, probably more Twitter than wow. Instagram. Instagram's getting on my, <laughs> getting <laughs> close to my chopping list at this point, yeah. <laughs> You're going to join Wegmans. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I'm just so tired of being sold to everywhere I look. Yes. You know, everywhere you look, it's an ad. And if it's not an ad, it's someone like selling themselves and their content. Yeah. And at a certain point, it just gets exhausting to just be like consistently trying to be sold on something, you know, it's just, yeah. and I find it happens on Twitter too. There's, there's, there's ads on Twitter for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but it feels more like a bombardment on Instagram than on Twitter. I don't know. No, I could, I could feel that for sure. Are there any good movies you've checked out recently? Well, Hey, let's see. Let's, let's look. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled mine up. <laughs> yeah. Well, what have I been watching? Well, the movie club, this, we just switched over to Latin American cinema. So we're spending oh. the next month only watching Latin American films. And we've, We'll, we'll, we'll define that too when we do a theme. So we're defining that yeah. as films made in Latin American countries by Latin American directors. Okay. Um, and we just watched a film called Birds of Passage, which was honestly incredible. It, it pretty okay. much was like a reskinning of The Godfather, but it took place at the almost the start of the cartel. So oh, wow. it, took, it takes place in like a Colombian village and this one guy who's trying to um, court this young woman in the village, and he has to provide a dowry to win her hand from her family in like the tribe, essentially. And then from there, he so he seeks out drug trafficking and essentially starts it. And it's about the infection of like the cartel and money and greed on that backdrop and it was a really 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 well-made film so i i gotta shout that out but um i'll have to add that before one before that before that we, what were we were doing um what was our theme it was, wasn't it like i saw you, you had like the thin blue line or whatever on there the documentary yeah, we did like high concept form documentaries we did that yeah um but honestly you know what has been like big for me outside of the movie club was I discovered um, Hirokazu Koreeda, which is a Japanese director who directed the film that we watched in movie club. This was part of our, we had another theme that was high concept films. So mm-hmm. films that are, you could, that are based off of some sort of high concept. We, we closed it out with the Truman show. Um, but one film we watched was this film called afterlife which came out in the 90s, which was directed by Coriata. Coriata's big film is this movie called Shoplifters that came out a couple years ago and kind of had like, you know how, like kind of like Drive My Car this year, how there's always like one Japanese or foreign film that like tickles the American marketplace and like 
gets the Oscar nom for best foreign film. Yeah, that was Shoplifter a couple years ago. I, I um, saw that one. I did see that one. Yeah, it was a good one. So that's Korea, and um, I'm just coming to him this year. I mean, I saw Shoplifter this year after seeing Afterlife, and yeah, there's this whole movement of like sort of conflict-free cinema you know like um i would describe like after yang that came out this year or petite maman that came out this year there's not much of a central conflict but there is this like philosophy being explored and then visually it's very poetic it's like a tone poem essentially um and i feel like that is coming from directors like Corieta or um, Abbas Kiristami. Um, and I just have finding myself to tend towards that cinema a little bit more because it feels so anti-content to me. It feels like it is not content. It is decisively cinema. And especially now, you know, with the freaking onslaught of, of Marvel, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, all things that I love, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Tolkien and I loved uh, uh, Game of Thrones. I am so not excited for those shows. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even watched House of Dragon. I watched the first um, Rings of Power and I, I liked the first three. Okay. I'm on the fourth now and I can't, no, there's only three out. So I watched the first two. Okay. I'm on the third one now and I can't get through it. You're yeah. talking to like the biggest Tolkien fan there is. Yeah. I can't get through the episode. And it's not that the material isn't there. It's just, I am so fucking tired of rehashed Amazon, Netflix, mm-hmm. whatever it is, content. And I think I'm tending towards these more simplistic tonal pieces like, like Celine Siyama, Koryama, or, or Drive My Car, Ryosuke Hamagachi. Like, yeah they just seem so the opposite and they actually, to me, they cut right through all of it and they get right to the core of, of like a soulful viewing experience. So afterlife was a big film for me this year. And that got me into shoplifters, but then I also got really into, into uh, Ryosuke Hamagachi. Am I saying that right? It's either Hamagachi or Hamaguchi. And I always mess it up. I think that's right. (laughs) So I started with, actually I started with wheel of fortune and fantasy which was like his, um, it's three short films in one. Yeah. And then I saw that in theaters. I was lucky to see that at a retro house in Rochester and it, and it blew me away. Yeah. And then I, I actually drove to Buffalo to see Drive My Car in theaters because it was screening at um, that theater there, the North. Um, North Park? Yeah, it was screening at North Park. Oh, hell yeah. And that was one of the best screening experiences i've ever gone to i was unemployed yeah i went on a monday at noon because <laughs> that's a three-hour movie and i essentially yeah. there was two other people in there and the north park really? is a very big regal theater so i was oh, in there by myself just locked in to drive my car and then i saw asako one and two and got really into that and just just love his writing his direction just love everything about it and again it just seems so opposite of content to me it seems like true true art and cinema so that's kind of the stuff i've been tending towards we just need more originality like you said there's there's too much rehashing going on remakes retellings you know we just need you know 
original content right. and or but i mean drive my car isn't original it's based off of a, yeah. <laughs> a hirakami novel yeah um, yeah which but that even that though it's an adaptation yeah. and it's an adaptation of something that isn't very popular to begin with you know so yeah. it's like there's something there to maybe expand upon yeah um getting very worn out on on the other end of that spectrum for sure it's to the point where like i like what last night Ashley and I were looking for something to watch and we just came across that Pam and Tommy thing on Hulu <laughs> and we we're like, oh, let's give it a shot. It lasted one second. I was like, fuck this. I can't. Is it bad? I, just, I didn't even bother I, with it. it. It might not even be bad. It just is hitting my fatigue. You know, yeah. it, it could possibly be very good, but it's just hitting right at the fatigue that I'm directly having with everything right now. So I was like, I, I yeah. can't do this. I'm sorry. Drive My Car was like the only one of the big uh, like award season movies that I didn't see yet, but I heard that's amazing. Highly recommend. And I, re I recommend to like, I think people need to set themselves up for success more with like cinema experiences. Like I drove to the North park theater to see that movie because I knew it was a three hour, quiet, slow movie. I set myself up to like it. Yeah. If you sat down in the middle of a sunny afternoon with your phone and laptop at your side and you threw on drive my car, Ruin you're it. not going to get out of it what you would if you just give yourself over to it completely. Yeah. And so highly recommend doing that if you're going to do it. And I don't say that as like a movie snob. I just want you to be happy when you watch it. I want you to like it because yeah, it is definitely. really great. And I think a lot of times we don't, that's another thing that I think about a lot with, with thinking about cinema. I think there's some people who think of it, almost as like a product and they think of themselves as consumers of that product. And when you engage with any music, painting, film, when you engage with it that way, you expect it to be worth your money and you yeah. expect to be able to, you expect it to wow you. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a really toxic way to go into any viewing experience. Mm -hmm. Give yourself to it, you yeah. know, let it, let it kick you around a little bit, you let know, it bring and you for a ride. You, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and I think if you go into movies, like you go in like expecting like a customer service interact, like that's the thing. A lot of people leave a cinema and just like, I want my money back. <laughs> I uh, blah 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 it's like it's not you didn't buy a couch on Amazon yeah you engaged in a work of art here mm -hmm. um now I understand why that's a a troubling duality to maintain because films are so often promoted to us as as and there's so much commerce involved in film that by the time you get there you know you are engaging with the product on some level but um you got to ignore that stuff, you know, go in yeah. and enjoy it. You know, I used to go to like it. the, uh, the Buffalo film festivals all the time. And I would have to sit through like 10 hours of just terrible films, but it was always like my friend's films and we still had fun with it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you could give yourself over to a film and it, it could very well still suck yeah. at the end, you know, Yeah. but try first exactly, and let it suck. You know, don't go yeah. in expecting it to work you back from a negative yeah. opinion. That's what a lot of people do. They sit down they're like, impress me. Yeah. Don't I'm already, 
I'm already, you know, giving you my time. You better <laughs> impress me. Yeah. Don't make it harder for yourself. Let it work you back. You know, don't um, expect the suck. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Have you been out to uh, California anytime recently? And have you checked out the uh, Tarantino theater, the new Beverly? Oh, God, I, I, every, every bone, I, everything about that place I watch on Instagram and I just am like, when am I going to be able to go there? I haven't it's... been to California. I don't think I've been to California since PBC days. I've been out yeah. West. I've been to Seattle and Portland a couple of times since then yeah. for different things. Um, but I haven't been to the new Beverly and oh. everything about it. I just, it's the best theater ever. Uh, it, it is. It has it really to be is. even like, I love like the aesthetic of like the programs, you know, I love it all. And, uh, got my, my little cup right here. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I will. I I'm glad it exists because oftentimes when I go out, when I would go out to California, or to LA specifically, I felt like I didn't really have a destination for me. Like yeah. back in the day, I'd go to UCB. I'd see a fun show, Yeah. which I, is that even there anymore? Didn't it? It is. It is. I haven't the been New there York in like a couple of years. The New York one closed, right? I think, I don't know. Possibly. I haven't been yeah. to the New York one. But like I would go there and that was really it. I didn't really have like a destination that I felt like I was excited about when I would go into LA other than like, well, let me see if there's a cool like show in town or something. Now that the new Be Beverly has become what it is, like I, it's very much will be like a destination for me if I if I get out west again soon. Oh, it's crazy. Everything's shown on film. The concessions are cheap. You know, everybody you meet there's a cinephile. It's just, yeah. and even the people working there are just diehards. You know, yeah. It's, I see the marquees posted on Instagram. I yeah. see the programs of what's coming up every month, and I just let I like audibly walk around my house like fuck. Yeah, I wish I was there. <laughs> damn it. I'm actually, I'm going to see one of your old touring bands tonight, the Gaslight Anthem. But after nice. that, after that, I'm going to the new Bev again to go see the craft. Oh, awesome. The My wife Anthem. loves the craft. Yeah. She loves it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, I, I miss that kind of movie. You know, I, I yeah. like that kind of movie. It seems like you don't see that very much anymore, at no. least on the scale that like the craft came out. Like, yeah, that's one thing I miss about the nineties, I guess is, is, everything was like on the same playing field, you know? Yeah, no, it In theaters, was. it was a movie that got made. It yeah. was a movie that got made, it's in theaters, and there's a chance people, there was like a sense of curation to that. It, yeah. Maybe it was more gatekeeping than curation, but if the craft came out today, it just would get like buried on Netflix, you know? Totally. Just, like, just totally buried. But I do like the craft quite a bit. I remember at least, I haven't seen it in a while. Gaslight will be fun. If you happen to talk to any of them, tell them I said hello. Oh yeah, don't absolutely. I'm actually yeah. gonna see. Uh, you know Kyle O'Neill, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's gonna be there. Oh, um, awesome! I'm seeing you... him because Fireworks is playing Rochester yeah. on that tour, and I'll be yeah. seeing him. I was, I actually have seen him a bunch. Well, a bunch by our standards because he was um, with the Wonder Years, working for them on their last tour that came through the Rochester. Yeah, he's and, doing mer merch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, they had to go to Canada and he couldn't go. And so he got stuck <laughs> in Rochester for like four days. I remember that. Yeah. And we had a blast. We just hung out. And I, again, he'll tell you I married of Rochester him and just drove him <laughs> around and was like, this is that, this is this. And he was like, cool. I don't really care. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm vegan. I can't have a garbage plate. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to get vegan garbage plates. <laughs> yeah. What is that place called? Owl house? Uh, well, Owl House is a place, but Red Fern does is Red another Fern. one that does like okay. vegan garbage. Owl House probably does too. Um, yeah, they do a lot of stuff. But honestly, 
that was another reason why I wanted to move back to Rochester. Um, yeah. When I lived in the city, I didn't really have like a good vegetarian place that I liked to go. Yeah. Um, there's so many in Rochester. It's really vegan and vegetarian friendly. Yeah. I think Dogtown is. I think they yeah, got for sure. options. Yeah. For sure. For I was sure. there like a month, two months ago. Yeah. Oh, awesome. What were place. you doing in Rochester? Just visiting? I was visiting um, actually another guy that did my podcast, but I've known him for a super long time. Do you know uh, Fright Rags? Mm hmm the clothing company. Yep. The guy, yeah. the guy that runs that Ben Scrivens, he's a friend of mine. I've known him for cool. like a bunch of years from like the convention scene. Um, we just uh, we met and went to Dogtown, and I went to his like headquarters there. Awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like I've, I, I know a lot of people who work at tiny fish, uh, the oh, yeah. printing company and they work together yeah. a lot of times. So I, I feel like I drove past their headquarters once and I was like, what is that? Yeah. And they were like, Oh, that's Fright Rags headquarters. I can't remember. That's like, familiar but i can't remember that's true yeah they don't put they don't put like a sign out front because i don't think they want people to know but it's like this old abandoned uh or it was an abandoned what do you call it like mortuary i think that's so cool and it just ended up working out that they could take that spot that's amazing yeah that's sick um but actually he's he's hosting a, an event at the little theater on the 29th of october that i'm planning to come to and i'm not sure if it's still happening or not but um he's supposed to have joe bob briggs there cool I don't know if you know what's, who that is. What's the event? Like, what's it all for? Well, do, do you know who yeah, Joe screening? Do you know who Joe Bob is? No, I don't think I do. He's like that guy from Shudder. He does like those horror marathons. Okay, yes. Hold on. Yeah, you know who that is. I, I'm Googling <laughs> if it's the same person that I'm thinking of. Yeah, he's like from Texas. He wears the cowboy hat. Yep. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So he's, he's supposed to have him, but yeah, that's going to be at the, like the little theater. Are they screening anything? Yeah, no, it's it's going to be a movie. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. Cool. But once they announce it, probably it'll be. It might be a surprise just because he does that surprise thing when he does the, the marathons. But have you been to the little recently or ever? Yeah, I went there back in I want to say 2017, 2018 for Halloween, and he showed that too. Cool. It was like a like a screening for that. They've been doing awesome events lately, and the they I don't know if 2017 was before or after the renovation in yeah. the front theater but it looks awesome in there now it's like really really nice i love it that place i think it was before yeah, yeah. It, it, it's cool i went to see uh they did a they did a fury road screening there and it was uh with that guy who just wrote that fury road like biography book they did oh. that event and it was super super fun that's um, sick i saw nope there recently and that was an event in association with the black journalist coalition of rochester yeah incredible screening just such a fun night i, I love that place there's some certain places that if like they ever closed i'm knocking on wood in yeah. rochester like a, a piece of me would would really die like yeah. really would, would like die. record archive <laughs> yeah like i don't go to i'm not a big vinyl collector oh, okay I love record archive. Now they're getting, there's a bar in there now, actually. There's a bar. I was actually there uh, what? two days ago um, for a show. There's a little bar and stage in there and they do small shows. And I love the events there and I love that it exists, but I've never been a big record collector. Um, so it's great when I have a record that I want to buy, but yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily have that relationship with it other than it's an institution in Rochester and I back any yeah. institution in Rochester, but like the little, for sure, if the little closed, I would I would not be the same person. I would no, same inside. Um, the bar is in, located in the back left, right? 
Yeah, it's okay. like I've seen that then. Yeah, it's if when you walk in the door, it's straight yeah. ahead. Then you go down yeah. the ramp and then back to the left. And they've 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 made it a lot better. It's like I don't know if it's open all of the time, but yeah. it's like a legit bar. It's mm-hmm. like it's like you could go there as is if you're going to a bar, not just for a show. But I think yeah. they normally do like a small show and then open the bar there. About five years back, me and my friend Peter, we went to Syracuse to see John Carpenter perform. And we stopped in record th- or record archive on the way there. And we got the craziest like horror movie hall of all time. <laughs> like I said, we both spent like over a hundred dollars on like VHS tapes. I'll have to find the picture and send you it. But it's it's crazy. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Seeing John Carpenter perform. Um, I'm wondering, actually, do you know who my friend Peter is? He does the Thursday night terror screenings. Have you ever gone to those? In Buffalo? What's his last name? Peter Vulo. I might know him if I saw him, but I don't know him by name. Have you ever gone to any of those screenings? No, in Buffalo, I never have. Yeah, it's called Thursday Night Terrors. They basically do a new horror screening every single month from, you know, like August to December and then I think January to May. But horror has become like a revelation to me in my later years. Yeah. I was never a huge horror person. Like when I first started getting into movies in high school, yeah. I was, you know, just very serious you know like i like it was into like independent cinema at that time and horror i think in my late 20s and now into my late 30s has just been such a revelation for me on so many ways you know it, it, it just obviously how fun it is you know how, yeah. how fun and like yeah. how pure it is when you go see those things in the theater and how it's like a direct pipeline to like a human interaction mm-hmm. um but also how like intellectual it can be. And I don't even mean like elevated horror or whatever it's called. I mean, like all of it. I mean, Carpenter, I mean, you know, alien, you know, I mean, Cronenberg, Cronenberg, you know, I just saw um, the new predator movie on Hulu. And I feel like that very much is in the tradition of old school horror where it's not like, it's not elevated to like the A24 level. Yeah it's in the tradition of pop culture horror that has a little bit of something underneath a little yeah. idea underneath and that a little I more be said too much yeah um but i love john carpenter for sure yeah so good i was actually watching the fun house last night you ever see that toby no, hooper I've never seen the fun house. same director that did texas chainsaw you know toby hooper is yeah. kind of a blind blind spot for me i really he's like my next kind of deep dive because i've i don't think I, okay, I love cinema. Yeah. I have some funny blind spots with cinema, though. Yeah. Like, there are some <laughs> things I haven't seen that is just silly. Like, I didn't see Evil Dead, any Evil Dead, until last year. Wow. And I have, I don't think I've ever seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre all the way through. Have you seen all the Evil Deads now? Yes, and I really love them. I've seen all the Evil Deads, and I've, and I've watched the sh- entirety of the show. So I went to see the new Evil Dead about a month ago at a test screening. And it's amazing. There's a new movie. There's a new movie. It's called wow. Evil Dead Rise. And it takes place in a high rise in L.A. Cool. And it's crazy good. Like we were we were supposed to not say anything because you sign like these NDAs or whatever. But Here then you are on your podcast. But then <laughs> but then Bruce Campbell, literally the star of all the other films, literally wrote like all these articles saying that yeah, it, yeah. it did really well and that people love it. And it's going to come to theaters. Directed by Sam Raimi, like actual no, it's a, it's a new guy, but I think Sam Raimi produced it. 
Cool. Um, but he definitely gave it the go ahead. And yeah, it totally is like on the same level of at least the remake. Oh, I'm so excited. Crazy. Yeah, That'll be awesome. Amazing. I'm seeing Barbarian tonight. Um, okay, cool. Which has just everyone seems to be loving. So yeah, that one's fun. I can't wait. I, you know what's weird though? I went to go see Moon Age uh, Daydream last night. Yeah, yeah. D- David Bowie one. Yep. Crazy, like definitely like a a visceral masterpiece for sure. But it's just it, it almost was like too much at times. It's it coming like, a little at the end of the month, and I'm yeah. really excited to see it. Um, it's great. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, did you see the the uh, Velvet Underground documentary that no, came out this I, I past year? To. Similar thing to. where it's like really really cool and awesome but it is super um abstract it is like and i intentionally right it's made in the design of like the art world that the velvet underground was a part of but even watching that too i was like this is really cool but maybe too much sometimes and i kind of been thinking the trailers i've seen for moon age daydream i'm like okay that's going to be like the velvet underground doc which yeah that's cool honestly Another thing I'm really fatigued on is yeah. documentaries, like straightforward. Oh, I love it. Like documentaries about just like specifically, let's like, just like, like factory farm, like crime documentaries, you know, just yeah. like, just get these docs out. Here's a cool story. Just yeah. get them out. And there's like nothing fun about the form that it was made in yeah. um, or nothing like artistic. And by artistic, I don't mean like, snobby i mean like meaningful there's nothing meaningful about the way that it was made like i just saw time for the for the did you see that documentary time no i haven't kind of made a splash like a year and a half ago it's a documentary about um this woman whose um husband gets incarcerated for robbing a bank and he's in jail for like 25 years or something like that and she's like filming every day of her life raising their two sons so that when he gets out, you know, they, he can, you know, be a part of his family somehow. And it's so beautifully made. It's made between her footage and the director's footage and it's made artistically to enhance the meaning of the story. Right. It's cool. And I am so sick of these documentaries that are just like, here's an interesting serial killer, get it out. You know, it's almost like an extended episode of America's most wanted, you know? And it's like, yeah. hey, maybe there's, there's a place for that, but again, I'm, I'm fatigued by them. So on the one hand, I'm really excited for Moon Age Daydream because it's like, Oh, it's a documentary made intentionally to yeah. enhance the meaning of the story they're trying to tell, as opposed to just like, let's get another David Bowie documentary out there. Yeah. I'm sure super fans are going to love it. Um, yeah. I can see like the audience might be a little split on it, but like people were like literally dancing and cheering the whole time. So my, did you see it at the new Beverly? No, I saw it at the, uh, the AMC Burbank right near my house Mm -hmm. and like the IMAX, but it's like, Whoa, like the whole time. It's just like, even like the first big chunk of it is almost like this crazy, like music video. It's there's a lot going on. I plan to get like very stoned and go see it by myself and, and absolutely totally zone out <laughs> i was thinking of the whole time i watched it i'm like i probably should have got high before this <laughs> yeah. yeah um what do you call it uh shit, what was i gonna think i just had something on my mind um and i lost it okay let's see that's fair that's how my mind works these days oh no no i was gonna say uh i saw a montage of heck i love montage of heck i would like to also just count just talk about like 
losing our train of thought on talking yeah. on the backs of getting stoned. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like talking about Perfect. being high, getting stoned, and like, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah, what? <laughs> um, I like Montage of Heck a lot too. That was really, really cool. Really well made documentary. I don't remember that being like crazy like that in the the visionary. Was it? There was a lot of cool animations. There was okay. a lot of cool. There was a lot of animation in it. But yeah. um, but More just again, like, like I. Like, 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 you know, Thin Blue Line, we talked about it earlier. That's such a great example because that's a very artfully made documentary. And, you know, this is like anything that gets popular. You know, it gets. Yeah. There's a really cool version of it that starts the trend and then it becomes like bastardized and, and, and factory farmed and churned out, you know, and documentary yeah. specifically crime documentary is certainly that, but, but any documentary that's made to get at the underlying truth of the story, right? This is something that I'm, I'm super, super into and more tapped into, you know, like mm -hmm. I, that, I'm way more interested in that than seeing some generic crime documentary about some random serial killer in wherever, you know, unless yeah, it's made definitely. artfully, you know? Yeah. But yeah, going back to like seeing like movies with an audience, there's something about that, that like, even if you see the absolute worst movie, but you see it with like a new Bev crowd, like it changes everything. You know, like, I think I, I, when I saw Nope, I think I got really lucky with my screening because I yeah. loved that movie. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who do, but then I've talked to some people who I would expect would. And they're like, yeah, it didn't really work for me. Yeah. Um, I wasn't super into Us, yeah, uh, his either. last. Um, yeah. I loved Get Out, of course. Yeah. Us, I kind of was like, oh, you know, not, not, I mean, cool, but, but just wasn't like, didn't hit for me. Yeah. And that then was Nope. The one. Yeah, but no hit for me. I mean, I was locked in and just mm -hmm. along for the ride and, and mm -hmm. thought it was just really, really stunningly made and written. Mm -hmm. um, but so much of that had to do with the crowd I saw it with, I think, you know, or at least maybe, maybe not, maybe your interpretation, but, but your willingness to get there sooner. Like, I, I think the people who maybe didn't like Nope, if they like watch it again, later they're going to maybe have that experience but i got to have it first and foremost when i first saw it because yeah. i was with a good crowd who was game you know yeah. just if you're with a crowd who is game and, yeah. and ready to go along with the ride yeah um that is really a special experience like i i mean nope um i made sure to see the latest jackass movie in theaters for that reason yeah and i saw that with maybe six other people in the crowd Oh. And we were losing our minds. And that really? was enough. That was enough people to have that, that experience. But um, yeah, I, I think like setting is a big thing. Like, like, like yeah. I said, set yourself up to have a good experience. And if you can see something with a good crowd, it's it, there's, there's nothing like it. And, you know, you're probably the same way, but I, I, I do a, I like it selfishly because yeah. it is a better experience for me. Yeah, totally. But also I romanticize that like connection yeah. with others, that silent connection and like an emotional, an emotionally agreed upon experience where we're all looking at this thing and going through the peaks and valleys of the emotions. And we're all not talking about it, but we're just silently agreeing on how we feel about it. Yeah. Um, I do kind of romanticize the power of that. I 
do wonder if that's more romanticizing than actual though, as I get a little bit older, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it does seem very powerful to me. It's crazy though. If you see like a good, bad horror movie with like a sold out audience, like, like there's movies like pieces. You ever see pieces? No. Oh my God. That with an audience, you'll, you'll be howling that, that and like, <laughs> like troll troll too. Yeah, I saw that. At, I saw that at the North North Park. That was a crazy one. Killer clowns. Yeah. Killer clowns from outer stuff. space. Yeah. I got them on a cup right now too. There you go. <laughs> obsessed. I I I like that. That that is. I I think I'm I like that kind of like culty cinema, but yeah. I think its true place is in a theater with people like that and and having fun with it that way you know i think that's a that's the best place to experience that i never got to see i got really obsessed with the room for a while and i i never got to see one of those like epic room midnight streamings. oh my god and i lived close to them i just never got to one and i i regret that but Dude. but i do I, that did occupy some want, space for me for a while i saw the room at the transit regal in buffalo <laughs> with my dad like years and years ago it, it might have been like the year before the year of the disaster artist but like dude i had no idea about the whole thing with that with like people throwing spoons do you know about that yeah. even yeah yeah we got nailed like people brought bags and like tote bags full of spoons and just i love it whipped them at the back of your head during every every shot of a i actually think i had tickets to that screening i was gonna go to that buffalo street if, if it's really? around the same time i was like oh shit they're doing yeah. one in buffalo i'm gonna go and then something came up and i just had to back out last minute but yeah, yeah. the spoons the the footballs i've read all about yeah. it never experienced it i i don't know if i've told this story on a podcast before i might have yeah, but uh, I got into the room not early, not as early as like Tim and Eric necessarily, because Tim, yeah, Tim yeah. and Eric were the ones who brought that in to the mainstream in a way. Yeah. They 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 started it screening on Adult Swim at midnight on April Fools. That was the first time I think the room like maybe stepped into the zeitgeist a little bit. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I was on tour. I was in Germany in a hotel combing through channels and it was April fools. And it was one of those adult swim midnight screenings. And I caught it in the middle and I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this? And then I just flipped past. I watched for a little bit. It kind of sucked yeah. me in, <laughs> but it was in the beginning. And you know how the beginning of the room is like crazy and you yeah. kind of have to get through it to get to the good stuff yeah. because it's like those like, four sex scenes right in a row you know and those those just it's just the beginning of the room is pure chaos it's crazy and it was in that spot and i was like i don't know what this is it wasn't until years later that a friend showed it to me sat down and watched at yeah. their house and then it just took over it just just sunk into my psyche yeah um but i that was probably 2010 2011 wow so you and, saw it early yeah yeah and i actually solicited tommy wiseau to potentially sponsor polar bear club what? A, a warp tour that we were doing and You're he lying. emailed me back he, we 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 chatted an email for a little bit what well it wasn't him okay the email was signed as john tommy's okay. assistant but the vernacular of the email was strikingly similar to the very specific <laughs> vernacular crazy. and cadence used by Tommy Wiseau. So I'm fairly certain it was actually him pretending to be an assistant. Um, 
Wow. But yeah, I, it was before the film. It was it was 2011. So the film, I think midnight screenings were starting, but yeah. it hadn't really like taken. Yeah. And I pitched to him like, hey, I'm in this band. I love this film. I would love if we could wrap our tour bus in a room graphic. I will walk the grounds of Warp Tour. I will sell DVDs <laughs> at our merch stand. I will walk around and give out DVDs. I will. I feel like there is this untapped audience for this oh film and I want to work with you. Yeah. And it just didn't pan out. Like he wrote me back and was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And then he was like in the email, he was like, maybe your band can write song for the room. Ha ha ha. Like that's how the email was worded. Yeah. Like it was clearly him, you know? Yeah. And then it just kind of went nowhere. But um, yeah, I was, so I was funny. really into that. Um, I, I still am really into it, but I kind of, it's one of those things that for people like me, and I think why people have, have, have glommed onto it, it's endlessly fascinating and yeah. you can think about it forever and you'll never it for people who like to think it's a really fun movie because there's endless thought experiments to run through with that movie mm -hmm. i i in that time too i was kind of on a self-assigned mission to show it to people also so i would host screenings of it myself and i had like a speech prepared that i would give at the beginning of the screening yeah and the crux of the speech was like yeah, I don't remember all of it, but I, but I do remember by the time I was doing these screenings, I had seen it almost probably 30 times. Wow. And I can honestly say that after like the 10th time, yeah, I wasn't really discovering anything about it, but those first 10 viewings, I was getting new things out of it every single time. And that's yeah. pretty amazing to, to, mm -hmm. to watch a film 10 times and still be getting things out of it that's pretty miraculous and it's inspirational in a way for a movie that like totally bombed when it came out and then just over time turned into this like cult thing it's pretty inspirational yeah, yeah I, I think so too now i think it you know the, the the character of tommy wiseau you know i think there's maybe remains to be seen like what's is and isn't like ethical about how that movie was made and and you know maybe platforming a person like that maybe i don't yeah. know but but for what it is um it is endlessly fascinating to me uh i, I just i like it, it watching the room is like yes watching a car crash you, you can't look away <laughs> but when you watch a bad movie troll 2 comes close troll 2 comes close but i actually think yeah. the room trumps troll 2 okay in in the following <laughs> the room to me is so fascinating because I've never seen a film where 100% of it is wrong. Yeah. Everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. Every corner of every frame, the set, the script, the acting, the direction, everything is wrong. Yeah. Even Troll 2, 10% of it's right. You know, 10%, yeah. like the locations will give it, you know, yeah. the, whatever. The room is 100% wrong. There's nothing right about that movie. And that's yeah. just, even when you're watching a really bad movie, like, okay, like we watched Limitless for our movie club, that Bradley Cooper movie. Yeah. That's a bad movie. Yeah. But like, 
they had good cameras, you know, they, yeah. they had good lights, you know, like some of it was right, whatever that means. Everything's wrong about the room and somehow it exists. You know, yeah. that's, that's what's so interesting about it to me. Yeah. It's crazy that it works. Yeah. Um, so when did you first fall in love with movies and what ignited this undying passion for them? Mm. Well, we, you know, we were just talking about this in movie club. We were talking about like, what, how do, why do people like tend to this kind of stuff so yeah. aggressively more so than seemingly everyone else in the world. Um, and I think we started a- asking ourselves, like, is this a chicken and egg scenario? What comes for, like, are you born this way? Is this something you're always going to be? Or yeah. did you like the right circumstances happen for you to discover it? And I think it's a little bit of both. I think it is that for me. Um, but I had, I think what really sparked it, I think I always was a person who was into like drama and stories and television and film always like as a kid was just always very into that. I think what kind of sparked it was a couple things. One, when I was in like middle school age, late elementary school, I suffered from really intense insomnia. I just really couldn't sleep, could not sleep. And so my parents thought, let's try putting a TV in his room. And it didn't help the sleep at all. But I ended up for a brief period of my life watching television from like 9 p.m. to 4 in the morning every single night of my life for like a short span of time. And I think that probably could be described as an addiction to television. Yeah. But I think what it gave me, it gave me kind of like the vocabulary of mm-hmm. watching media. It gave me like um, the patience for it. It started developing my palate for it in a weird way. So that kind of laid the framework. Then when I got into high school, I, I didn't think about film much after that. I mean, they always affected me a lot. I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park, I think I was in fourth grade. Yeah. It really affected me deeply. Um, I was convinced for a year that that was going to happen to me. I, I was convinced that that was somehow I was going to be in a situation where I was going to have to figure out how to survive from dinosaurs. That's how much films like affected me always. But after that time, I didn't really think about it very much. And then when I got into high school, I just fell in with the right people. Um, I had an older friend who to this day, I'm convinced is the person that knows the most about movies on the planet you know he's so he's an encyclopedia of of cinema he was two years older than me he worked at blockbuster and we just became friends through um we did like a high school improv group together and i i auditioned to be in this improv group made it in and became friends with this guy who just started showing me movies obsessively and i was really lucky because when i was in high school it, it was like, that's when the Coen brothers were starting. I mean, sort of, they were like just starting. I, I raising Arizona, I think, you know, came out in the eighties and I was in the high in high school and kind of nineties, early two thousands, yeah. but like Coen brothers, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, even later, David Lynch, Tarantino, Tarantino, for sure. You know, like that's just, I, I was lucky a right place, right time to meet this person who was showing me cinema old and new. 
and the people who were making movies at that time were doing were those people you know so i got into it then and just from that point forward just never looked back i mean it's I don't know if you're like this, but I, I have certain things in my life that I'm very like phasey about, you know, like, oh, I'm really into, I'm really into like hiking right yeah. now, or I'm really into um, this or that. Uh, cin- Cinema has just been the one thing that has just never gone anywhere. It's just been yeah, same. completely irrefutably a giant part of who I am unquestionably. And I just, no, it's going to be that way forever. You know, it's, it's the one thing in my life that's been so certain for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how it started. That's how I got into it. And I don't know if I would have, I, I think I would have eventually found it had I not had that experience. But yeah, I think it's also a part of who I was and, and where I am in history, you know. Yeah. But um, I sure am happy that I did because um, it's weird. I think people who are not, necessarily into cinema yeah i think sometimes they look at people who are and they don't think like damn i really want to be into movies that way but i think a part of them thinks like damn i wish i was into anything that way like i wish i was that passionate about anything because cinema people are really really passionate and i'm i'm glad to have that passion you know it just seemed it's a always been a touch point in my life emotionally mentally you know it's just always been very grounding for me yeah absolutely um, would you ever consider writing a screenplay? Yeah, I am. I, I do. I, 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 that's a big hobby of mine as well. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, um, it's, it's, I love to write. Um, I yeah. love writing lyrics and I have always tended towards writing. I wish that's the one like thing that I wish I developed more when I was younger. Like, I wish I discovered that more, but I had a weird relationship to writing when I was, when I was younger, I wrote stories a lot when I was a kid. And, um, my grandfather died when I was like, I think I was in third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And I started experiencing like, just like moody prepubescent emo things. Yeah. And I wrote this story, like handwritten story as a fifth grader. Wow. And I wrote this little story on paper and I just like tucked it under my bed. I just put it under my bed. And the story ended with like the main character jumping off a roof, you know, as wow. many like youthful emo things do yeah. as the room does. Sounds ends in suicide. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You know? Um, and my mom discovered it and freaked out. She just was like, oh my God. And I had to start going to therapy and I had to start, like, it became a thing. Wow. And I think I just, and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't the fault of my mom. This, I'm not, this isn't me saying like my mom was being a bad parent in this moment, but I think I just internalized like writing as a thing that's going to get you in trouble. And I put it down for a while, you know? And it wasn't through like lyric writing and poem writing. And I, I wrote some like short plays in college and later high school, like one act plays that I started to realize, oh man, I, I can do this. I have like the scent, the patience to do this and I should do it more. Um, so yeah, I do, I do write still very much as a hobby. I'm trying to like finish. That's the thing for me because my, my main Same. hobbies are songwriting and recording and like, writing writing yeah but uh i i i wrote 
I, I dabbled in like film essaying for a while. Um, I really like that as well. Um, but yeah, screenwriting, I am dabbling in now and just failing miserably, not at like doing it, but like consistently, you know, as they say is the thing, you just do it, just set the habit and do it. And I haven't yeah. been able to like build the habit. I'll go on a streak where I'm like, oh man, I'm five days and I'm hitting the groove. Yeah. And then I'll look back and be like, oh shit, I didn't write for the past three months. Same. Um, so, yeah. you know. I think I was thinking about this recently and I, I think I might pull the trigger and just try to like co-write with some people because I feel like if you bounce off ideas with somebody else, you might be able to finish it easier. Yeah. I, I think um, there's a book, I, I'm sure you've read all the books, you know, Yeah. I'm going to show you the book that helped me the most. Um, it's this book right here. It's by John okay. York. It's called into the woods. Okay. And um, it's just, you know how all those books are they're all getting at the same thing and i've read them all you know i've, I've read all the screenwriting books this was the one that really started clicking for me it's more about like the philosophies and the freedoms as opposed to the strict tight structural things and i found that to be super super helpful and 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 clicking for me um but yeah i, I also like i i started visualizing more like storyboarding more i have like i have like a beat board in my basement you know with things on it but yeah i think you're onto something there having a co-writer someone who keeps you accountable you know and yeah. can bounce things off of that's a good thing i have a friend in australia who used to live in rochester and he does production and he he writes as well and we're trying to be that for each other but he has kids i'm about to have kids yeah. and, and we, we we fall into that like hey we haven't talked about this in a long time so Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But I, yeah, I feel like, though. I feel like you could write a bitch in piece of cinema for sure. I like the thing I'm working on and it still inspires me. Um, yeah. and I just want to finish it. That's my only goal is to finish it. Yeah. Um, I don't care what happens with it, finish it and let some people read it and really cool. Um, but I, I'm, I have like 40 pages right now. Um, that I need to cut down. I need to cut down because it's still yeah. like, it's 40 pages of a first act. And I don't think that it's should be that long, but, but um, yeah, I really do like it. It's just hard. It, it, it's just hard. And it's every time I sit down to do it, it's hard and you just need to get comfortable with the, with the hardness. But um, mm -hmm. I'm hoping to get back into it when my son comes along and I have some like, downtime in the house kids asleep and yeah <laughs> clack away a little bit clack it yeah, yeah no, absolutely yeah i just i gotta finish mine too because i feel like once once they're finished you could like shoot a proof of concept and you know just show it to people and that's yeah that's more exciting that way being done i mean you know and like it's it's so much it's 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 tweakable when it's done you know what yeah, i mean like it's like exactly. it's like okay cool it's it's done now i can start rewriting and like that first draft is is very very challenging yeah um even even for me i have every beat on a board in the basement i i yeah. know the beats of the story and i still am like damn because the the beats are not there the relationships aren't super sussed out in the beats like the characters are not super there yeah that's been the stuff that's been hard for me like i know exactly what the story is going to do but i want to do it in a way that has rich, awesome characters, you know, like, and, yeah. and it's cool, but good dialogue. Um, 
Yeah. You know? No, that's fun. Challenging. If you ever have anything, like send it to me. I'd love to read it. I would, I would, I would love to. I'll, I'll do that. Um, have you seen any good shows recently? Like television shows? By like concert shows. Oh, um, yes, I have actually. I saw, um, I saw Wilco a couple weeks ago. That was really good. And then the week before that, I saw um, Sharon Van Etten and Angel Olsen and Julian Baker, that Wild Hearts tour. That was really good. Yeah. Um, I I was supposed to. I think I went to the first Julian Baker show ever. Oh, really? She opened for like Touche Amore, but go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember when she was on that circuit. Yeah. At like Chain. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to see the pavement shows the pavement reunion shows. I was going to go to Atlanta to visit yeah. a friend there and see the Atlanta one, but that's too close to my baby's due date. And then I was going to do Toronto, which I think is this Monday, but I was like, damn, I'm not going to drive to Toronto and come back on a Monday night. And yeah. my wife still could go into labor at this point. So I was like, ah, I just can't do it. So also was going to see dinosaur junior a couple weeks ago, but had to sell those tickets because it was the same day as her baby shower. But, um, you know what's funny? The best concert I've seen. Yeah. This is so stupid, but it's true. And this is more a me thing than a good thing. But really close after the pandemic was like, you know, the pandemic's not over, but it's like definitely been in phases. The real quarantine phase of the pandemic, when that was starting to loosening, loosen up, um, one of the first shows I saw after that was an REM tribute band oh, cool. um, called Dead Letter Office. Yeah. And they are like a sanctioned, I guess, sh- sanctioned REM tribute band. But like yeah. um, Peter Buck has played with them. Mike Mills has played with them. Um, it's a little, I don't know, maybe it's cheesy to some people. And there's aspects of it certainly that are. Yeah. I had a fucking blast at that show. They were so good. They played for like two and a half hours. Yeah. They played the hits. They played the deep cuts. They did it all. And it was just fun i i honestly i don't know if i've had that much fun at a show since or in a very long time it was really fun cover bands can definitely hit or miss but when they hit they, they can be like better than the actual nothing band sometimes like it. yeah nothing it's crazy. like it when they hit it's and this band hits they yeah, they, they hit they're so good they're yeah. so so good oh, now awesome. is it a little corny yeah like the keyboard player was wearing like a dunder mifflin t-shirt <laughs> you know and there's a lot of bandana action and that's yeah. you know all good but i can't fucking fault them because they fucking yeah. they got me that show they got me they hooked me in and i had yeah. a blast i was dancing and singing along and having time in my life <laughs> that's sick i got to see uh motion city soundtrack recently on that that new tour they just did um yeah. i'm flying home to see Snapcase in oh, buffalo i don't oh, know if yeah. you're going to that that's gonna be fun no I haven't seen them since they like came back, you know, and did shows. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man, well, that was after like 2005 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them actually. They were one of the last uh, shows I saw before the pandemic when they played out here with Earth Crisis and Strife. Oh, and nice. That, that was sick. The singer of AFI came on stage for Caboose. <laughs> oh, damn! That's hard as hell. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I oh. saw before the pandemic, I had, a, I saw a really good show too. I, the last show I saw before the pandemic, I went to Toronto to see teenage fan club and oh. had, a oh, really, I love them. It was such a good time. It was oh. so much fun. They played an awesome set and it was, it was a good way to like, I had really good last concerts and last films before the pandemic actually. So teenage fan club 
And then the last movie I saw in the cinema was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. And that was the last film I saw in the cinema before the pandemic. And I was kind of like, you know what? If this all goes to shit and the world doesn't come back, that's a good way to go out. Yeah. It's a really good way to go out. Did they play the cabbage? No, th- no, they played, um, they played the, what the fuck is it called? The Phoenix? Okay. Yeah. That's sick. I had never been there before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the last bands I saw before the pandemic was actually Guttermouth. Do you know who Guttermouth okay. is? Yeah, I mean, I never yeah. really listened to it, but I know who, what they are and what they sound like. That was a shit show. The singer was <laughs> so hammered, and there were like fights, and it was at a bowling alley. It was, oh, it was crazy. Wow. It was fun though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see here. So, do you come from a musical family? I do. You do. I feel like I, I heard your your dad was like a piano player, or your mom. My mom, my dad is actually kind of the musical black sheep in the family because my dad, my dad has good taste in music, (laughs) um, but he doesn't have like musical ability. Okay. Um, My mom uh, was a piano teacher and a good singer. And my sister studied to be an opera singer. Um, Oh, cool. Both my mom and my sister were better singers than me by light years. I mean, they're, (laughs) they're both very good singers. Yeah. But yeah, my mom was a piano teacher and, um, so I, I, music came really naturally to me. Um, and I, and I have like, you know, was born with musical ability, I guess. But I think the, the thing I think about the most that having a mom as a piano teacher prepared me for was like patience. So I have extreme patience for like band practice for recording, I can sit in a recording studio and I could listen to the same five seconds of one song for 12 hours in a row and be pretty okay. Um, And I think what really gave me that, my mom taught piano out of the house. And so when I would get home from school from like 2 p.m. to 8 p.m., I was hearing little kids practice piano in the background. And, you know, I just would hear like, I would hear the process yeah. subliminally. I wasn't thinking about it. And I think that just like made me really, really patient with music. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and, and like, you know, I've, I've been in bands with some people and like there gets to a certain point in band practice where they're like, I'm tapping out here. I can't do anymore. Yeah. And I'm always kind of like, I could go for a lot longer, you know, like, like I could practice a long time and be, generally okay um yeah. have endurance for music i guess because of that and then same with the studio there's some people who just cannot stand being in the studio for a long time and really? i get that yeah i mean it makes sense you're listening to the same thing yeah. or an isolated thing really loud over and over and over again that's that's shit they do to torture people in some areas yeah and so i get why not everyone can do that um but for some reason i just can i can i can be in the studio forever and it doesn't really wear me down like that well you like the creative process i'm sure i do i i think when i think of myself as a musician i i kind of get like my juices from recording more so than playing live um writing and recording is where like i feel the most myself as a musician i feel like i'm where i'm supposed to be when i'm doing those things Mm -hmm. um i like playing live a lot playing live is great it's a piece of the puzzle but like 
if I had to choose one, like you can never play live again, or you can never write and record again, one or the other, I, I'd pick writing and recording any day. Well, I know you weren't, you weren't like necessarily a big fan of touring full-time, right? No, I wasn't. I, I mean, I like, I like playing shows, Yeah, but the mechanics of touring, um, it's rough. Yeah. It's just not for me, um, anymore, at least mm-hmm. took a couple years to realize that, but, um, I just, you know, yeah, I, I was depressed on the road. You know, I just was like, I, I'm someone who wants to be like connected to the people I love and I want yeah. to be connected to my town and, and place I live. Mm-hmm. And you just don't have that when you live on the road, you know, like yeah. life moves on without you. And yeah. that, that I, I didn't want that. I, I wanted roots. I wanted yeah. connection, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying that it's good or bad one way or another. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't be a happy person on the road. Some people tend to that lifestyle really well. Um, that just wasn't me. Yeah. It's just difficult when you're gone for nine months out of the year. It, it's, it's, you have to be so dedicated to what you do Yeah. to the point where you sacrifice your relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe I think there are some people who can kind of have both and they figured it out. Yeah. I wasn't that smart. I didn't know how to do both. Um, but I got to a point where like missed a couple weddings, missed a couple funerals. And I was like, yeah, nah, I, I want to be there for people. I want to, yeah. I want to be there in people's lives in my wife and mine. I want to be in our life this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just got to the point where I was like, yeah, I, 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 the ending of polar bear club is both a sad thing, but also a good, it was a good thing. It was timed very well. We were, yeah. Our last tour was really taxing. Yeah. And um looking back on it, 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 it I'm glad that it was because it pushed us to to stop. Yeah. And I'm I don't know if we would have if if we had a great career, you know. And yeah. so in a way I'm glad it ended the way it did. You guys had such a good run though and I feel like it ended when it needed to. I think to so honest. too. Yeah. I think so too. Um I I I, I don't this might be stupid to say but maybe it even went on a little too long you know and six years is not a long time in the grand scheme of a band's career yeah um but i think it 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 couldn't have gone on any longer for Mm -hmm. sure um so yeah i mean i'm glad it ended when it did so when you were a kid you originally were going to be a drummer but instead you picked up the guitar i wanted to be a drummer you wanted to be a drummer yeah um but my mom was a piano teacher in the house. She was like, there's no way we can have a drum set. Yeah. Like playing in the house. So I had a drum set for a while um, okay. and was playing and I, and I felt like I was getting good. Really? I mean, this is memory. So of course I probably was dog shit, but I felt <laughs> like I was like, I'm getting comfortable on this kit. Yeah. Um, but it just was like, we can't have this in the house anymore. It's too loud. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I, I, I took more to guitar. Um, which I, I, I am a guitarist. Like I, I took to guitar so quickly and like obsessively, but I struggle with drums now. I kind of wish I, I was, I want to get better at drums and I I've learned a lot through programming drums because I program drums on my demos really manually. And like, I, I doctor them and stuff and I, I like correct them. And I've learned a lot doing that process. I mean, literally just like, going be seeing every hit on a yeah. grid you know seeing it and doing it 
Um, but yeah, I, 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 I wish I, I wanted to drum first because I just wanted to hit shit hard and make a lot of noise. Um, you know? Yeah. I feel like I would honestly be a good drummer too, because I'm always like one of those people that just like taps along to everything Me too. like Me in too. the car and anywhere I'm at really. And yeah. hitting my legs and stuff. Um, and people have said that to me in the past. They're like, Oh, your timing's really good. And I'm like, you know what? I would love to have a drum set, but you know, I live in an apartment in LA. And yeah. That's it's hard possible. To... Yeah. I have learned about my timing too, through programming drums electronically. I'm yeah. always ahead. Always, yeah. always, always. Like I have to go in and everything that I hit, I have to like move it over just that much. Yeah, just that. Just I'm always sliver. ahead of the beat. So I don't have a good natural timing. Yeah. Um, that would be something I'd have to get a lot better at. But but I I like I know how good drums sound. Yeah. Makes me a very challenging songwriter to work with because I'm always talking intensely to my drummer and being like, eh, like this, do it like that. And I'm saying it not knowing what it feels like to play it. And that, that can be frustrating for the drummers that I play with. Because yeah, They're definitely. just like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's not a thing a human can do. And I was like, I know, but this, you know? Yeah. So I, no, I more want to get better at drums. So I have the language to communicate yeah. drums. You know, that's more the goal. And it's, it's good to know everything, you know? Yeah. I feel like even, even with film, like, like writers should know how to edit, I feel like, or, you know, right. learn all like the little trades. Yeah, you but, should have knowledge of that to, yeah. to to inform your thing, you know? Yeah, but I have a lot of friends, like, you know, with guitar playing that, like, won't pick up a guitar because they, like, tell themselves, like, they can't play with both hands or something. And yeah. I, I thought I wouldn't be good at that, but I'm actually not too bad. Um, you can learn anything. You can, you really yeah. Can. I, I told myself for years, I mean, years, that I could not sing and play guitar. Like, wow. I, I, I was just convinced that was something I was incapable of doing. That's crazy. I would, I would watch people do it and I could do like simple strumming patterns for sure. But any yeah. like syncopated rhythms offset to a weird melody, I was like, I'll never be able to do anything like that. Yeah. And then I finally just sat down and forced myself and I could do anything now. I could, I could eventually do any alternating rhythm and melody together. I I've figured out like how to, I, I, I haven't figured out how to do it. I figured out how to learn it. So yeah. some stuff is natural and it comes easy, but then some things you have to sit down and actually figure out like, I am singing this syllable on this hit. Yeah. And then I sing this on this stroke and like, you have to break it down to that degree sometimes, but yeah. you will get there. And I, I took me a while to have faith in myself to do that. I was actually learning another night in the rock yesterday when I got home a little bit, <laughs> nice. I, I was just like, I want to, I'm going to try something here. And that's actually that's not one, that hard. No, uh, that, well, you know why it's not that hard? Cause that's one that I wrote. That did was you? one of my songs. Yeah. <laughs> Any sick. Polar Bear Club song that I wrote is one of the simpler ones. <laughs> what, would you, what would you say is like the easiest one to play? The easiest Polar Bear Club song to play? Huh. Yeah, Potter might not be that bad. No, but Potter has some weird chords that mm. are like irregular chords that would take you a second to like get your fingers used to the voicings yeah um killing it is one a one part song and that song is pretty easy um drifting thing is sort of i would say like sneakily hard it's it's regular chords it's all power chords the whole time but the changes can be a little weird and yeah. sometimes something that's so simple it can be hard because it's that simple 
Um, but drifting thing's probably like the easiest, I guess. You could sit down and learn it. But like most other Polar Bear Club songs either have some like weird timing or weird chords. We, we used weird yeah. chords a lot. So you might get the main rhythm, like you might get the, sorry, the root chord, yeah. but you might not know the weird chord that's actually being done. Yeah. And I know you guys changed the tuning a couple times throughout the band. Yeah, we went a half step down on the last record. Yeah. And then other records before that had some that would be in different tunings. We were primarily standard with yeah. like every record would have one song in a different tuning. But then yeah. the entire last record. I no, no, I I think we did the rec the last record in standard and then we tuned down to tour it afterwards. I can't remember. I'd have to play it to, to know. Yeah. Wasn't convinced I'm wrong like a different one. Convince I'm wrong was in what's commonly referred to as dad gad. Yeah. D-A-D-G-A-D. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, that's like, I think that's like the um, dashboard confessional tuning. It, it, it like allots itself to a lot of very open chords and open plucking. Yeah. You know? That's sweet. But yeah. That was a different tuning. So what kind of songs would you try to play in the beginning for practice? Like, and, and did you take lessons at all? I did. I, I took guitar lessons from a random guy that my dad ran into in a grocery store Hell yeah! and he was working at the grocery store and he was a metal guitarist probably in his 30s yeah and i was i was 12 when i was starting and essentially the structure of our lessons was um come to the house tuesday nights and bring a song that you want to learn to play and i will learn the song and i will teach you how to play it uh, the so there was no no theory no nothing just like I want to learn how to play this corn song. And he was yeah. like, cool. Give me you a second. Here's, here's what it is. I'll teach you how to play it. Yeah. Um, and I took those lessons for like a year or two. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. After that, I just started playing on my own and learning on my own. See, that's the best way. So I, I took lessons at, at two different periods in my life. I took at pro music center in Buffalo, the old location. Yeah. And that was where the guy tried to teach me theory and I was like kind of young. So I was like, not into it at all. And then he would teach me like twinkle, twinkle, little star and stuff like yeah. that. And I'm just like, I'm wasting my time here. <laughs> which, then, which that guy was right, by the way. Yeah. I wish, I wish I was, I wish yeah. I sat down with the theory and the standards. Yeah. Cause I'd be so much better now. I, I yeah. was wrong. We were wrong then, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, but, but well, still I get it. Yeah. That guy wasn't the best teacher though. I, I feel like, I don't know. I can't even really remember the way he, he would do it, but he wasn't the greatest. And then yeah. I, I met, I don't know if you know who Josh Wagner is, but he works at pro music center. Now he pretty much runs the place. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, he, he would just basically do what you said and like, just teach me songs I want to know. And, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, I'm still, I mean, it's such a valuable way to learn. I'm still amazed at when I, the thing that it taught me the most learning that way is disconnecting yourself from how a song feels in your hands to how yeah. it sounds. Yeah. Because I think a lot of young songwriters, they write based off of how it feels to play. And no one listening to the song knows how it feels to play. Yeah. And I still learn this constantly like sometimes i'll listen to a song that's really connecting with me and i'll be like man that song is so good and I, and that it feels so new and fresh to me yeah. and it feels like they're inventing something i'm gonna sit down i want to learn what this song is doing i'm gonna sit down and learn it and 10 times out of 10 when i do that i'm always like wait it's just that yeah it's just those chords 
It's that's all it is. How are they making it sound that way? And it, it really informed the idea that like the way a song, what the song actually is in your hands means dick all. It doesn't mean anything. Totally. The how it sounds in the end is what is the most meaningful. So whenever I'm like playing in a band or working with someone who's like, oh, I don't want to do the same chords over and I don't want to do the same standard chords. I, my, 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 uh, my walls go up a little bit to hear that because it's like, nah, man, that's, that's, no one cares about like your strange chord progression. They care about how it feels to them. Yeah. And that, yeah, you, you don't want to be doing, you know, overly simplistic stuff, but simplicity connects. If you can, like a band that I really love and that I just did this with is the Dandy Warhols. I was listening to that popular song of theirs, um, If You Were the Last Junkie on Earth. And I just fucking love the chorus of that song. And I was convinced it was something crazy and new that I didn't know about. And literally it's just the same four old chords that you hear on every fucking song. It doesn't matter. What matters is how it sounds when they do it. Yeah. How it sounds in their hands and how they put it all together. And the content of the lyrics actually inform the experience as well. And yeah. putting all that together. Um, and I think learning guitar the way that I did really informed that because I would, I would learn a Rage Against the Machine song and be like, wait, it's just this? I can kind of play this. Yeah. I can kind of do this and I just, I'm 12. <laughs> I can kind of do this. Um, and I just learned really early, like it's, it's not about what it is on paper. It transcends what it is on paper and it's about how it feels in the end. Absolutely. And I think a lot of even people our age writing songs struggle with that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm happy I learned that way. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, Andy from Every Time I Die actually can't read music. I, I can't read music. I found that out recently. That blew my mind. Uh, most people I know can't read music. And my yeah. mom was a piano teacher. My mom tried to teach me how to read music. And, yeah. and I was like, nope, can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it. That's sick. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of that, uh, Rapoy used to teach at Pro Music when I was taking lessons there. Uh, yeah. He was teaching like drums. And I remember there was one day where my teacher was teaching me like floater or something. And that guy walked in. It was super awkward. Oh, man. I don't <laughs> know. They probably get that a lot though. All those guys yeah. around Buffalo, you know? Yeah. I had, to, I had to just wait till he walked into his office. <laughs> and I, I, I love Andy so much. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but PBC toured yeah. with them a bunch and they were always just so welcoming and nice and good. You know, they were just yeah. a good band. And, and weirdly the Rochester hardcore scene kind of didn't really accept them really? Um, back in the day, you know, yeah. because the Rochester hardcore scene back then was all about like really raw hardcore, like, yeah. like really, you know, bridge 90 yeah. punky DIY hardcore. And they were almost considered a little too flashy. Really? And everyone, everyone thought of them as a little glam, you know, and, and, and they were, yeah. but by design, you know, um, Syracuse was cool to them. Right. In the beginning, Syracuse was cool because Syracuse yeah. had that too, the moshier kind of thing. Rochester at that yeah. time was very like fast hardcore, like yeah. Bane, American Nightmare, fans Buried, like that. Very you know? live. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, tr I guess what they would call it like true hardcore, you know, <laughs> every time I die back then. 
to people in Rochester wasn't real hardcore. Yeah. It was yeah. just mosh, you know, crap. And um, screamo or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't necessarily agree with that, but I was like infused with that. And yeah. um, man, they're one of the, they were one of the truest bluest bands to ever do it. You know, they were more hardcore than any of that shit, you know, honestly, yeah. the, their work ethic and how long they were able to do it. Yeah. And, and and maintain it you know suffice how it all ended but but yeah until then you know they were true blue you know it's just crazy they were they were able to manage to sound different on every single album but still be themselves and like yeah, that's that, yeah that's crazy to me they knew they just knew themselves yeah. you know they knew which is you start to realize is the real skill over time yeah knowing yourself and knowing what you make Mm-hmm. And knowing your like point of view and defining it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Polar Bear Club ever really did that. And I think that's part of why we ended after only six years is I don't think we could really figure out who we were. Really? really. I think we got close. I think we got really close. Yeah. But um, I think we did what we could for as long as we could without knowing it. And I think the bands that are able to last, like Every Time I Die, really have to sit down and say to themselves who are we and what do we do and what do we make and what are we all about um we never really had that discussion in polar bear club we 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 did it effortlessly and i think we were generally all on the same page but i think part of our lack of longevity was that we we never really defined it and and talked about it bands like every time i die they talked about it they defined it they they knew it and subsequently they were able to sit down on every record and they knew exactly what they were going to do. And they knew what it meant to grow because yeah. they knew where they were. You can't grow if you don't know where you're growing. From. Yeah. And they knew they were just, maybe they didn't talk about it. Maybe they just were that good at it, but they, they had a defined point of view and were able to sustain it for a long time. See, even if that's true, I still feel like you guys are very distinct and I feel like I can't, I can't name any band that is, a, ca- a carbon copy of polar bear club i feel like you guys were definitely your own thing at least yeah that that my, that my opinion of that could be maybe just me you know maybe that just is yeah. inside baseball but i think we i agree with that though i have of of like um it's kind of a blessing and a curse i think because i, I of, of like the bands that are going now yeah. that you know sound like title fight or sound like yeah. the wonder years or sound like whoever else from that era. I have not heard a band that has really sounded like Polar Bear Club um, since Polar Bear Club. Now, I think that's cool, but I think something that frustrates me a little bit is our legacy hasn't really been contextualized. You know, like people don't really like talk about Polar Bear Club that much anymore, which is fine. It was what it was, Mm -hmm. but I remember I was reading some article on like Brooklyn vegan or something, and they were talking about um, La Dispute and Touche Amour. And this was recently, this was like a year ago or two years ago. And they were talking about the evolution of that type of like emo screamo, you know, post emo screamo type stuff. And they were talking about the lineage of that and they were tracing it back. And some of that traces back to Polar Bear Club. I'm not saying yeah. Touche and La Dispute would have, I'm, I'm not saying they wouldn't have done what they would did without PBC. Those bands are incredible. They're anomalies. They too, like every time I die, yeah. they knew their point of view and they defined it very well. Mm-hmm. 
But there's part of that that traces back to Polar Bear Club. I remember Touche opening for PBC at the Glass House yeah. for a while, you know, before that type of screamo started to come back. So I'm reading this article and they're tracing back all the bands. And they're like, Touche, it, the article's primarily about Touche and La Dispute. But then they're like, but then you take it back to bands like the wonder years yeah and fire they start naming bands and i'm reading this article yeah. and i'm like oh they're they're a breath away from naming polar bear club yeah fireworks the swellers make do and mend yeah balance and composure all these bands and just no mention of polar bear club I, it was comical yeah. i was like they are so close to mentoring pvc yeah and they just didn't and i think part of that is is because we kind of did our own thing yeah in a way and maybe didn't we, we we didn't align we aligned with that scene at the end but when we started we didn't really you know we we wouldn't there's some people who i think to think of polar bear club as like pop punk and it's like we we aligned with that because mm-hmm. we had a similar sentiment meant to those people and we got along with those people and those kids liked polar bear club and it made sense for us to like tour with those bands um but i don't think sonically we ever considered ourselves along those lines and i think there maybe wasn't like a place for us in a way you know to to be around much longer um i don't know i don't know if that's true but but it is something i noticed there i haven't heard a band that sounds like polar bear club since polar bear club and i'm not even sure what that means or how to describe it but yeah you're right how would you guys describe your like genre like melodic punk hardcore mixed with something yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe <laughs> you it. I would yeah. avoid it at all costs. Yeah. I, I can tell you what the idea was when we started. Yeah. I think the idea was in line more with um, like Casket Lottery and Small Brown Bike. Hell yeah. Um, Great band. I think what we were trying to do is like, let's try and do something like that, but maybe make it a little harder, a little more aggressive, but still like maintain melody and sentiment. But honestly, like we named our band after Silent Majority because that was another big influence on what we were trying to do. I think when we sat down, we were like, let's be like a fun, like poppy hardcore punk band and also like Small Brown Bike at the same time. I think that's kind of what we thought of ourselves as. Yeah, that's cool. And I feel like a lot of bands like Wilhelm Scream and Menzingers and stuff, like people can point you guys sort of in that direction more than like pop punk. Yeah. And and I think like, or the Flatliners, you know. Flat, the Flatliners, fantastic. Yeah. And I think those, I love those bands and people. They're a little, they're on the punkier side of what PBC did. Yeah. You know, I think PBC could get that punk at times, but we didn't, we weren't always, we, we, we were, we were like, by comparison, we were more on the small brown bike side to those bands who were really, really yeah. punky. But I think, yeah, them strike anywhere, you know, yeah. another big influence. I think to us, we were like, let's do what those bands do, but also incorporate like casket lottery into it as well. And there definitely was like a more hardcore approach to the shows too, a little bit. Yeah. And that, that piece just came from like, that's just who we were. That's just what we yeah. do. Um, that wasn't something we thought about. We just were like, these are what shows are like is behaving this way. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, just, that's just us coming from hardcore. 
And I don't think we really thought about doing a show any other way than the way PBC ever did our shows. It wasn't conscious. It just was like, this is what shows are, right? Okay, cool. Go. Yeah. Boom. From the 13 Wham News Studios, this is Good Day Rochester. When did you realize you could sing? Did you have like friends or family to boost your confidence by telling you you were a gifted singer? Or? No, I still don't think I can sing. Honestly, I, I, oh, I, come on. I, uh, I think my, my, I, I was always the only person willing to sing. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> what it was. Even in my very, very first band when I was in ninth or eighth grade, you know, when we're looking around the room and everyone was like, all right, cool. We've got some songs. Who, who wants to sing? go around the room and everyone's just like, fuck no, fuck no, fuck no, fuck no. And then it gets to me, I'll try it. Sure. And that's how I started singing in bands. Um, but then I quickly realized like, oh, cool. Like I, I, I understand melody and I understand the process of writing lyrics. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I also understand performing too. I, I understood like, that came from like the film drama side as well. Like I, I understood the nature of, a, and, the, and the purpose of our performance and, the, and communicating through performance. I understood that as well. So I think just naturally I, I, I 
landed in the role of, of singer. When did you realize you could sing with the gravelly distortion in your voice? That also was an accident. That, yeah. that, that was kind of, that came out of, um, that kind of came out of like a sort of nervous breakdown. Um, I, so the, all the bands I did before PBC were always like, you know, some sort of blend of singing and screaming. Yeah. Um, but it was different than what it landed at at Polar Bear Club. That happened because PBC was working in, a, in the studio making, honestly, this didn't even really fully, I don't think it fully crystallized until sometimes things just disappeared. Even the Redder the Better EP stylistically is more like what I would do before, like this kind of blend of singing and screaming it kind of fully crystallized on sometimes things just disappear because I really just, it was my first time working. Well, no, it was only my second time working in a really professional studio. And it was very, very exposed and vulnerable. And I I just had never recorded vocals like that. It's a really alienating experience when you go to do it your kind of first time. And I wasn't, doing well i was i was not doing well i was failing i was i was sounding like shit i was trying to sing and scream and the singing was like off the screaming was off and i kind of was like i'm just gonna i I locked myself in a bathroom in the studio i was like i need a break locked myself in a bathroom sat on the floor for like half an hour just frozen with fear completely having a panic attack just like how the fuck am I going to do this? What am I going to, how am I going to get through this? And I was like, you know what? The only way I'm going to get through this is if I go full fledged and just fucking go all out all the time. And so I just went on that from that recording session with that mindset. And it was, it just worked. It was the only thing that was working. And honestly, I think when we got through that session, the producer, us in the band, we were like, okay, we like this, but like, is this going to work? You're just like screaming the whole time. And like, there's melody to it, but it's, it's, it's intense. It's, it's gruff, you know, um, is this going to work? And I think we landed on it because we had to, it was the only thing that was working. And then luckily it took, and it made sense. Um, so it was discovered in the studio, but I remember some people who were really into Polar Bear Club before that record, because we had like a small fan base in town before that record kind of took off. Some people, we came back to Rochester and we showed that record to, and they were like, I don't know what this is, man. I'm I just going to be honest with you. I don't really like this. <laughs> and we kind of thought like, oh shit, this isn't going to work. And then um, it just took, it just made sense. And, you know, Polar Bear Club started before you were even in it. Uh, when you were offered to sing for the band, you weren't really into joining and you were like sick of playing music at that point, right? A little bit, yeah. What uh, I convinced guess, you to give in? You know what? I don't know if I was sick of playing music. I think I was just sick of hearing myself sing. Uh, okay. And I was sick of being the singer in a band. You know, yeah. I, I, I didn't think I really could do it. I really didn't think I should be doing it, you know? Um, what kind of roped me back into it was what Chris sent me the demo that they had recorded without me. And I just got excited about it. 
and I just, I wrote some lyrics, I wrote some melodies and I just could, I could imagine it. I could see it. And I, 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 the first song on the Polar Bear Club demo, when I finished like writing my part to it, I was amped. I was in my bedroom. I was pretending I was playing a show. I was singing along. I was excited about what I had made on top of what they had already laid down. I, so really, I just was inspired. I just was, I was like, I, I, I have to do this. I have to be the one to do this now. Mm-hmm. I went into it like, yeah, I don't want to do this. You don't want me to do it. We've played in a million bands together. Go find someone, find something new to do. I shouldn't be the singer of this band. And then I totally flipped to be like, this is fucking mine. No one else is doing this. And uh, the rest was history from there. That was like 2005. Was that, yeah. was that dropped on MySpace? The, the yeah. demos? That demo yeah. was on MySpace, yeah. Yeah, so MySpace kind of gave the band traction back in the day and really, you know, garnered you guys an audience early on. How would, you, how would you say those early days of grinding on the internet or like posting flyers have changed to today? Well, I mean, I hesitate to even call it a grind because it, it just kind of happened. Um, yeah. I don't think we, we, we planned for it. We, we reacted yeah. to it. We yeah. didn't plan for it. We didn't... I... I Whenever I see a band kind of like trying for it, um, I feel a little like cart before the horse because I'm not trying to brag. I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, we were just that good. I'm just trying to say, we never tried for it. We just let it happen. We just, we tried to be as good as we could. We tried to be the most excited by the end product as possible. That's the only thing I've ever tried for. That's where I put 100% of my effort is impressing myself with what comes out at the end. Everything else, it just happens. And so we did that. And then um, we thankfully had MySpace. I mean, MySpace, yes, it made Polar Bear Club's career. You know, we, so we put our stuff on MySpace and we started gaining traction in town, you know, but then all of a sudden we're starting to get messages from California, from other places in the U S from overseas and our music is spreading. And honestly, I think we were just so used to being a local band and having a local scene and trying to make it there, trying to hit in Rochester. We, we never thought about hitting anywhere else. We never thought going on tour. And so when that started happening, we we're like, Oh shit, this is, this is kind of cool. Um, and really, because of that, that's what, that's what drove us to start touring. So our, our first tour, we were kind of spoiled. The first tour we did was kind of great. It was kind of good. We, we, there was a time in PBC's career where we didn't know what it was like to have a bad show. <laughs> there, was a, there was a significant time where we were just like, shit, everyone loves us. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it didn't last forever, for sure. We, we learned yeah. quick and, and hard what it was like to have a bad show many, yeah. many times over. Yeah. But for the first like year of the band touring, um, we, were, we were doing pretty well. We were going to all over and just people knew us and sang along and, yeah. and reacted. Um, and so we, we were spoiled in that regard. We, we had a safe, we, we, we were able to test the waters with MySpace and be like, you know what, maybe, maybe this would work if we toured it. We yeah. didn't go out touring like, like a lot of bands do being like, we're going to build our audience by hitting the road. Our, our, we kind of knew our audience was there a little bit. So yeah. we were very lucky in that regard. 
And how much did the uh, gain the, the band gain traction after the the redder the better EP came out? You know, the redder the better. It really was. It really was. Sometimes that that started the traction. Redder the better. Okay. Was like the first wave. Yeah. And like there was there was a couple towns that that picked up on PBC early on more so than other towns. Like, um, you you you've had some of the transit guys on your podcast. Yeah, Joe. So, so I don't know if Joe talked about this, but where Joe is from or where most of, I don't know if Joe is actually from there, but where for a lot of transit was from was this town in Massachusetts called Stoneham, yeah. Massachusetts. And for some reason, like that town just picked up on Polar Bear Club really hard, really early. Oh yeah. So like we had, like, we could go there when Redder was out and, and play a great show. Yeah. We could go like to Philly and New York and whatever. We could do little weekends off the Redder. But the real like global pickup didn't happen until until sometimes came out. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just saying because for some people that EP is like their quintessential release for you guys, and even around uh, here in Rochester, there are a lot of Rochester people. Yeah, like that for sure. Yeah. When we had we had Ben from Such Gold on the last episode, and he was saying like all his favorite songs are on that EP. Yeah, I love that EP. I love the way yeah. it sounds. I love the way it it's feels. Great. It's really like kinetic. Yeah. Um, and I think. It's funny. I think like mm, people around here will say that is their record, but there's, there's people who sometimes is their record. There's some people who clashes their record too. And I, I like, I like hearing and meeting people. The thing that bums me out is I think people who like people who clash is their record. I don't think they go back to Redder very much. And I wish they would, I wish they were there for that too. And I wish, yeah. My goal is I, I would love to do a PVC box set at some point and do the yeah. whole discog from demo to everything because the demo, whatever would take it, you know, yeah. whatever would work because the demo didn't re I really like the demo too, actually. Yeah. And the demo didn't get its day in the sun. I mean, it did around town, Yeah. but I think there's some, there's some recontextualizing, recontextualizing of the demo there for sure. Some solid bangers. <laughs> yeah. I like that demo a lot. Uh, what does the redder the better mean? You know, it just came from a lyric. It just came from the lyric to that song. And it just, honestly, it is the spirit of, of finding the voice of Polar Bear Club. You know, it is, it is in that spirit of powering through, you know, um, and it's the, the lyric is obviously a, a reference to your vocal cords, you know, like sing along with us, like throw your voice out, you know, the, the, the worse it is, the better, you know. Um, and I think it's just that idea of like giving yourself fully to something, hurting yourself for something. It's, it's honestly a subconscious, it's probably a subconscious pickup of Bane's give blood, you yeah. know, that, that lyric and that idea, it's the same idea that we kind of, tweaked on it you know classic you got yeah. to see bane at the bug jar like really early on right i saw bane a bunch i probably saw bane 10 times in one year wow once. and That's one of those crazy. times was at the bug jar the first time actually was at the bug jar and wow. i had no idea what i was what i was getting into i i got yeah. right up front because i just was excited to see a band i liked yeah and i almost i lost, almost died at that lost show. all your I, teeth <laughs> yeah it was wild um so you guys were able to finish college and earn your degrees before taking the band on full time. Was this a conscious decision or did you guys just end up working it out? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I think a couple things, I think historically 
when we graduated played a big part of this as well. Yeah. Um, most of us graduated around 07, 08. Yeah. And if you'll remember that the, the economy of America at that point was near full collapse. I mean, yes. potential economic collapse. Um, post 9-11, obviously, economic collapse. The world was just a unique place at that time. Yep. So I think to be a graduate leaving school, thinking about like, what do you do with yourself now? That was a different question to someone graduating in 08 than it was someone graduating in 98 to someone graduating in 88. It just was a different question at that point. And I think because the world we were in, it was a little easier for us to be like, why wouldn't we do this right now? The world's falling apart. Anyway, there's no money. There are no jobs. Yeah. Why wouldn't we do this right now? So I think that was a part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, and the fact that also we were semi-successful as a band, we, we, we knew we could do it. We, you know, we weren't starting from square one. We weren't starting from nobody knowing who we were. People, people did kind of know who we were because of all the stuff we were just talking about. So yeah. all of those things informed us just being like, hey, we could actually kind of make a go of this. Mm -hmm. Were your parents on board with you trying out the band full time? Yeah, yes and no, because I kind of already had done it. Um, I went on my first tour when I was 17 with a Rochester hardcore band I was in called The Disaster. Yeah. And I was 17 years old and the rest of those guys were like 22, 25. Um, and they had to come over to my house and convince my mother to let me go on a tour. Um, and they did. And I think my mom just saw like how passionate I was about it and how real it was for me. It wasn't pretend. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't going to go and I wasn't trying to just have an excuse to go party. It was, I, I was very passionate about it and I, I, it was who I was. And she saw that and she let me go. And so I was still in high school. I was going into my senior year of high school. So I went on a tour full US then, did it the next year as well. And then I went to college. So by the time PVC came around, they were like, yeah, you've done that before. Go, go do it again. Cool. That's so so cool. the groundwork was laid, you know, I guess for me to be doing that. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. yeah. Um, is burned out in a jar a small nod to the bug jar in Rochester? No, no, no connection there. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. No, you know what? That is just, I see why you would think that because it looks the same, you it know, does. like the idea, the, 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 the graphic around it too. But yeah. that was just like, that was just poetic license. <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with the bug jar. That's cool though. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did, it, how did it feel to have the band's first full length record out into the world? That felt like it was real. You know, that felt like, um, that felt major, you know, that felt like, um, you know, cause I had, I had been in bands forever and it was rare that one of the bands I was in actually got to make a full length album. It yeah. was usually seven inches EPs or, or short, short records. Um, I never really made a, I made, I was in a band, a band that I'm actually really proud of. And I, I've been meaning to try and find the stuff and put online. Betty. I was, no, no, I, I was proud of that too. But this band I was in was called the Avram. And it okay. was um, kind of like a refused style 
like hardcore band. And yeah. I still listen back to the full length that we did. And it's one of the proudest records I've ever been part of. Yeah. I love the way it sounds. I love the songs. It's, it's also was kind of when I figured out how to write songs a little bit better. Yeah. And so I really have a soft spot for that record. But that was the only time before that that I ever made a full length album. Yeah. And so just to be able to do that and and come out on the other side of that, because it is it is a lot of work making a full length album. It's a lot of time in the studio. It's a lot of time mixing. Yeah. And just outside of the scope of music, being able to see a project of that scope through, that was really meaningful to me personally and to us. So I think that showed us like, oh, we're kind of a real band. We went to a studio and we made a full length album. Cool. You know, that's really cool. And it sounded good. And the, we liked the songs and we like traveled to do it. We worked in a studio outside of New York city and like crashed on a floor. And like, we recorded it at this place called Nada recording with uh, John Nicleria, who's a producer yeah. that doesn't get his credit for all he did for polar bear club. He was like seminal in the, in the evolution of polar bear club. Yeah. He did redder too. Right. He did Redder. Yeah. He did sometimes. He did, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Rochester Band Marathon. He did their full length. Yeah. Um, that's how we knew him was through that. And um, he worked outside of New York City and it just was, it just made it real. It just was real to us. You know, we're like, shit, this is a real band. Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's definitely got to be like mentally exhausting and taxing to just be in a studio for that long and not knowing how people are going to react to it once it's done. Yeah, it's, it's long. We didn't have a lot of time. We didn't have a big budget. We had to do it quick, long days. And recording a lot is really taxing for everyone. Yeah. Not least of all, if you're someone who is not like me, who is even really patient and used to and likes being in a recording studio, um, it, it's, you can go crazy a little bit in there. You're, you're locked in kind of a windowless space for long amounts of time, yeah. listening to the same thing over and over and over again. It can drive you a little mad, but um, it's a process I love. It's, it's where I feel like most myself in, in environments like that. Were you able to be appreciative of what you heard when it was just being played back to you in the studio or was it once it was completely finished, you were like, okay, I see what we got here. The music, yes. Yeah. The vocals, no. Really? Well, that's true of every record, I think, because when yeah. you record records, it's beneficial to record what they call vo vocals up or like a vocal up mix mm -hmm. where the vocals are really loud because you can hide a lot of vocal mistakes in a well-executed mix. So the idea is record the vocals really loud and on top so you can make sure that the takes are very good. So that when you go to mix them, you're not necessarily hiding anything. It's, it's all there and it's all good, you know? So when I would listen back to the vocal up mix, it was just like, oh my God, the vocals are so loud and they're so on top of everything. And they're so like separate from the rest of the mix. That's really frustrating to listen to vocals while you're tracking, yeah. but it's all the more rewarding when you hear that first mix, when vocals are actually then put in the mix and you're like, oh shit. Okay. This is a real this All is right. a real mix now. It's polished the, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know. But the band, the guitars sounded amazing from day one. We yeah. just were like, shit, these guitars fucking rule. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and the drums too. So that was really fun. Yeah, that's cool. Um, on the song Our Ballads, you talk about a nearby a nearby neighbor of yours at the time who was a lawyer and told you that your band alienated girls from boys. Tell us more about that story. 
Yeah, I want to offer a caveat to that. Um, okay. The person that that is about is a very good person. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very kind, empathetic, good person um, that said a strange thing to me once, you know. Actually, they didn't even say it to me. They said it to Chris. Okay. Um, so I always try to offer that caveat because I think the lore of that song has become like, fuck that guy. Yeah. You know? um, and I, that, I really don't like that because that's a good guy. He is a good person. Yeah, for sure. Um, and here's why that is that way. Because it's a song that's screamed. You know, it's a, an aggressive sounding song. And so it's, you know, I'm not saying that anyone who takes it that way is wrong, but that's how that song came out. Mm -hmm. When I was, when I write any song, it's a little less opinionated. It's more gray in my mind. It's a little more like pensive. Yeah. So when I wrote that song in my mind, I'm like writing a poem about like, you're just laying it out. I'm yeah. thinking about something, Yeah. but then the end product turns into a kind of hardcore song and it ends up sounding like that. So, yeah. um, was he wrong to express that idea? Yes. He's still a really, really, really great person. And he is a really progressive liberal person who probably doesn't even really think the way that you would think he thinks by hearing that song. Yeah. So that's what I want to say first. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea of that song, what I did was I took that sentiment that he was expressing because he's a musician yeah. and Chris worked for him. And Chris oh, okay. was taking him the redder and he said, check out our band. And to him as a rock musician in Rochester, who like is per, he's a professional musician. Yeah. He heard that and was like, here's something you got to think about. This is really aggressive. This is really hard edged. Girls are not going to be into this. And you want to be a band that everyone is into. That's what he was trying to say. He was actually in a way. <laughs> trying to be supportive. Yeah. Not even just trying to be supportive. He was trying to argue the point that I was making in the song. Yeah. You want to include women. Don't exclude them. Yeah. That's what he was trying to say. But the notion that I spun on it was that women are, can't be included in aggressive music. Yeah. Right. That was the thing that stood out to me as an idea to explore. Yeah. And I wanted to explore it in the sense that like really the a big song that I was I was really into seven seconds at that time. Yeah. I still am. I think seven seconds oh, they rule. has been, you know, aside from like descendants, there's not many who have been able to do it like that. Yeah. And walk together, rock together was just a song that was on my mind. Yeah. And I think of our ballads as being in the same ballpark as walk together, rock together. Mm -hmm. Just a song about including everyone in a seemingly aggro aggressive space making the space for everybody within that context so that's really what that song is about um yeah. i wouldn't change anything about it that's not what i'm saying i one of the things i'm proudest of at the end of polar bear club's career is that for a while we were known as kind of like i, I guess maybe snidely a hardcore band that girls could like a hardcore band girls were into and women were at our shows a lot and up front oh, yeah. singing. And I have to think it was because of that song. Mm -hmm. So I think 
I'm very proud and I wouldn't change a thing about how that song came to be, but I do like to offer a caveat about it because I, that, that man is close with my family and yeah. he's meant a lot to my family. And I don't want to be in like a feud with him about it. I don't think it's a feud and we see each other and don't really like talk about it, but we don't think of it that way. But I also want to say like, I don't, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, I yeah. never sat down and wrote that song with like a fuck him attitude. Um, but that's just kind of how it came, came out, I guess. Did he ever have like an initial reaction to it when it came out? Um, his daughter did. His daughter uh, spoke to me about it. Um, and his daughter is kind of famous, actually. Um, really? Yeah. Um, she is a musician. Her name is Julia Nunes. And she's like, um, she got famous on the internet doing like ukulele covers very early when that was a thing. Yeah. And then she moved out to LA and just as like a big musician. Now she's like oh, makes cool. records and does it all the time. Um, she was my next door neighbor growing up and, and she, she, I, I might be misremembering this, but um, I'm fairly certain she called me and we, we, we did talk about it once. And, and I tried to express that sentiment because I think it weirded her out. I think she was like, why are you coming for my dad? Um, and we, we talked about it and I was like, hey, listen, this is the idea of the song and blah, blah, blah. And then I, I it, it was a good conversation, I thought. But then later she did a song and she kind of took a dig at me in a song in a way, um, which is fine. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I don't necessarily care, but I, I, I do care in the sense that it's become a thing thing I, and I, I hope it's not a thing actually yeah um because i would hate that because they're such good people and yeah. I, and i don't want that to be the the thing um, well it's good you just laid it out so that now they can listen to this and be like all right yeah hopefully square it hopefully. <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah actually i just got to see uh seven seconds for the first time a couple months ago they opened for uh circle jerks it's pretty cool i, I love seven seconds so much just yeah. always was a band that just like spoke to me you know yeah. in that in that realm uh we man was there hell <laughs> from, yeah from jackass <laughs> hell yeah as he uh, should be yeah um so i've always been curious what does the red hoodie symbolize because I, I know you have that on sometimes things just disappear and then clash battle guilt pride it returns yeah you know just a happy accident really um okay. i think it symbolized at first it symbolized nothing I think, okay. I think it grew to symbolize something, yeah. but at first it was just a good design. Yeah. We were going through design concepts for the cover of sometimes things just disappear. We knew we had a record that we thought was special and that we were proud of. We wanted to make sure the cover was of that caliber. We went through a couple other covers and we were like, yeah, this is good, but it doesn't really like hit, you know? We knew Richard, the uh, Namino, the designer of that covered through his band had toured with Marathon. Yeah. And we knew he was becoming a really good designer. And so Emmett from Polar Bear Club was like, let me reach out to Richard. Let me see what he can do. He came back with that cover first try. First try, that was the cover. It's crazy. And it just was instant. I actually, I was looking for something in my email the other day. Yeah. I, I was going back, way back into emails, trying to find a file. And I came across the email chain where we first saw that and I was looking at it and it just was like everybody, every member of the band, boom, so good. 
Oh, it's like I, we've never had a design come back to us and not have a million notes about it. Yeah. That was the first and only time where we got a design and we were just like, holy shit. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And it was all just there. So the red hoodie just came from that. It just, it yeah. just came from that. And then from when, when chasing Hamburg came around, we knew we wanted Richard to do it and do something along those lines. So there was a kid in a hoodie on that. And then when clash came around, it returned like to the, to the red hoodie. And then um, I, I think though, what it came to symbolize was just, was just the quintessential person who was in the polar bear club at that time. You know, like if you, if you went to a festival that polar bear club was playing or a show polar bear club was playing, you would see 20 of those red American apparel hoodies yeah, out absolutely. in the crowd anyway. So I don't think it was any planned symbol. I mm-hmm. think it just was what, kids like us wore at the time whatever that means you know yeah i think what it meant from the perspective of polar bear club was like what is on that person's mind what is going on inside of them and i hope that pbc kind of captured that or spoke to that we could always just say you did it after uh elliot from et yeah that's what it was <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> god i watched et pretty recently bald my fucking eyes out oh man i saw that at the new bev that was that's crazy with an audience i bet, I bet. yeah that's fun um so in 2009 you guys signed to bridge nine getting picked up by that label must have been you know a surreal mo- moment seeing that you were a fan of their roster for years prior was that another milestone for the band where you felt like you finally made it to somewhere substantial yeah it was honestly a little strange for us at the time but but exciting so i mean yeah in the phases of my life and maybe i'll i'll speak as as the band and and our life you know that happened when i was like 22 23 i think at like 16 and 17 18 i was obsessed with bridge nine i I was absolutely obsessed with that brand of hardcore you know i got a little away from it after that and got into like you know the small brown bike casket lottery stuff so when it circled back and polar bear club was being courted by bridge nine. It felt surreal because it was like, Oh man, I I was making bands like this when I was 17 and I would have given anything to be on bridge nine when I was in a band that sounded like a bridge nine band. Now here I am in this kind of other style of band and we're being courted by bridge nine. It, It was, it felt like this feels like the timing is off, you know? But what was really happening at Bridge Nine at the time is they were trying to diversify. They were trying to sign other kinds of bands and and sort of, I guess, diversify what you would call their brand, Um, which is a term I don't like to use, but it's kind of the only word for it. Yeah. And so it was exciting and seemed to make total sense that we would be a part of that sort of rebrand. We would be a, we were kids who got what bridge nine was. We were inspired by what they were, but we also were something else. It seemed really natural and exciting for us to go with that label. And we met with a lot of labels. Yeah. We, we met with a bunch of labels. And I think if you told us at the start of that process that we would have landed at bridge nine, we wouldn't have understood it. We would have laughed. Yeah. But at the end of us meeting with bridge nine and specifically Carl Hensel, who worked there at the time and was part of that like rebrand um it just made sense it just was like it was the only meeting that was like 
we like them. That makes sense. That excites us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, but it did feel major in the sense that we were signing with a na- label that we knew and were accepted, but yeah. also we were signing with them because they were trying to grow their label. And they thought of us as a band that could like do that for them. So I think it was, it felt real to us on both of those fronts. Yeah. It probably felt like you could work both ways, you know, like help them out. They'll help you out kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know if we did, you know, I don't, I don't, don't, but, but they thought we could at the time. And so I I think, but that's probably the guys that all label signings exist under. But, um, and in the end, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Um, But it was exciting to us. And Chasing Hamburg was produced by Matt Bales. Is that how you say it? Bales? Bayless. Bay- Bayless, okay. Yeah. yeah. Who has worked with many great bands, including Wilhelm Scream, Norma Jean, Vanna, and a bunch of others. What was it like switching producers after signing to B9? Um, it, it was, it, I, we were just trying to learn and get as many kinds of experiences as we could. I, I think we, we had done two records with John Niclario, mm-hmm. and we liked that. But then we just were like, we kind of distinctly were like, we're going to be a band that doesn't go to the same producer every time anymore. Let's try new shit. Yeah, of course. Um, And so Matt, it wasn't really a Bridge Nine thing. Matt was really like a Chris thing. Um, Chris Brown from Polar Bear Club, distinctly minus the bear and, 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 and botch both bands that Chris was really into. We both really liked the way their records sounded. And Matt was just a producer on our radar. Yeah. And we thought like, okay, we have like resources. We could go to Seattle and live in Seattle for a little bit and like record with someone like Matt. And we just went for it. We just were like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. Let's not think about it too much. It excites us. Let's go. And it was a great experience, a great studio. And just was a good, just good to learn from Matt's mojo. You know, I mean, for me, for someone who likes being in the studio, I just like to, I'm one of the person that I'm like, I'm in the room all the time, even when I'm not working, I want to be in the room and giving opinions and listening and watching, you know? And so it was just good from that standpoint to get another one, another person's mojo and and workflow. Yeah. You seem like you like to learn all the knowledge too, and just get a hand for everything. Yeah. Good. Um, but yeah, that definitely like protects the longevity of a band, I feel like, and keeps it fresh when you, you switch producers. Um, is the uh, sophomore slump a real thing? Was there a lot of additional stress to the recording process because you guys didn't want to make like a carbon copy of the first record? For Hamburg? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's something we were aware of, but we didn't care about. I mean, we were, um, <clears throat> we were really excited about the songs we had and really excited about that record. Um, and I think like, you know, I'm not an idiot. I I know that if you think of like PBC, people think of like chasing Hamburg and death chorus as like minor records, you know, I, I understand how it is there. There's still records that I'm really excited about and and proud of, but that's just how it is being in a band. Any band you love has minor records, but the bands don't really think of them that way. And and I get that now that I've, you know, been in bands. Um, I, that record to me feels like sometimes does, you know, it feels the same. I don't think we necessarily did anything blaringly different on it. Um, but you know, just different flavor, different time and place for whatever reason, only a couple songs on that record really, really took, 
But honestly, as long as there's one song on the record that takes, I'm happy. You know, yeah. like I'm good. You know, Living but, Saints um, is one of the best bangers you guys ever put out. Yeah, you know that 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 was like a big song, song for us. So I'm like, I right, cool, all all good in the end. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I don't think of it as any different than anything else. So yeah. I, the sophomore sophomore slump wasn't something we were cognizant of, but yeah, you know, there was a different feeling in the air. You know, yeah. we were a different band at that time. Yeah. No, yeah, I just meant, I just meant like, were you guys worried coming into it like that it wasn't gonna pan out the way you wanted to, kind of thing? But I mean, I think every any band who tells you they're not worried about that is lying to some extent. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're putting a lot of time yeah. in. So yeah, we want it to work. Yeah, you know, any project you sit down to do, you want it to work in the yeah. end. Like if you sit down to build a table, yeah, you want it to be a table that holds things on it in the end. Yeah, and so yeah, you want it to work. And the goal is connecting with people mm. and, and, and also you yourself being proud of it. Yeah. More of all, that's what working is to me. Yeah. And it worked on that level. And yeah. so the other level is, yeah, I hope people like are into this um, yeah. at some point, even if it's not yeah. like right now when it yeah. comes out, I hope at some point they're into it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think in that sense, you're aware of it, but yeah. that's the same on every record. Chasing Hamburg absolutely rips. Let's just be honest. I love that record. I I, I um, love the way that record sounds. I love yeah. what we did on that record. So good. Um, yeah, I, I like that record a lot. I like all our records. Yeah, same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys always manage to stay true to your sound without much label interference. How important is it to stay authentic as an artist without any unnecessary chefs in the kitchen? I think it's important, but honestly, I think by the time PBC was making records that were backed by labels label interference was just non-existent for anyone. I don't think there were many labels at that point that are that were interfering with how their records should sound. I think at that point, we're, we were so far on the other side of that being a thing, at least at our level and probably a little higher. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think we were ever going to be at a point where a label was coming in to interfere with how the record should sound. So yes, it's very important. But also it was never a thing. But also we wanted some interference. Like we actually, we started seeking out producers that offered and did more extensive pre-production. Yeah. Um, we wanted to collaborate as songwriters. Yeah. Be not because we necessarily needed the guidance. We wanted different ears in the room. Yeah. And we, as our, as songwriters ourselves, were pretty confident and sure of ourselves. So we knew we weren't going to let anyone push us around and yeah. do anything that we also weren't excited about, but we wanted someone to take us to places we maybe couldn't get to on our own only if we were excited about it in the end. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys appreciate the challenge, you know, and yeah. I feel like a lot of people need to be okay with feeling uncomfortable when they have to like change sounds and stuff, Definitely. because that's just how you progress as an artist, you know, Definitely. Got to always try new things. Um, but it looks like you guys had an incredible time filming the living saints music video, uh, with those green screen effects and all that yeah. stuff. Was that a lot of work or did you guys have like a great team behind you to make that come together effortlessly? It was a lot of work, but it was also really fun. It was a friend. Um, Emmett had a friend, this guy, Tom, who was a video editor in New York city. He got some, like, he had this, like, he won this editing contest and he got a little heat behind him as an editor. So he was primarily doing commercial editing at the time, Oh, cool! but he wanted to get into videos and we were friends with him and we were like, Hey, 
do a music video for us. And that idea was totally his. He came up with all of that and he put a lot of the money into it. He, I mean, it was all him, all, all him. And it was a great experience. It was hard because, I mean, it was pretty much me. The rest of the guys had like one thing they had to film, yeah. but I had a couple like long filming days, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. What kind of jobs did you have during the band cycle to pay bills and get by when you were not on the road? <laughs> um, I want the silly ones too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, a couple things. It depends on where I was. Yeah. My father uh, transitioned. He was a construction project manager for a long time. And then he quit that and started his own business, making his own pasta. Oh, cool. Uh, small business. Um, so I worked there a bunch when I was in between tours. Um, and so that I did a lot, but then when I wasn't there, um, I worked in a bakery as a delivery driver. I worked as a telemarketer. Nice. Um, trying to think what else. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Or I take odd jobs here and there, you know, yeah. like paint a house or something like yeah. that, but, but pretty much that, those things. I, I oddly never worked in the service industry. Like I never worked in a restaurant, Really, never did like waiter stuff or anything like that. You didn't miss much. It kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever sling merch for other bands or like, you know, as like an excuse to go on the road? No, I didn't. Nah, you're like, I yeah. never was looking for an excuse to go on the road. <laughs> yeah. I kind of figured <laughs> I was good. I PBC was on the road enough. I was, yeah. I, was I didn't need any more time on the road than I yeah, had. For sure. <laughs> um, putting together your own headliner tours, is that a daunting task or was it rather easy to pick and choose like who you wanted to open for you guys? It was hard. It was hard for sure. Um, because, you know, we obviously wanted to take on bands that were exciting to us, but yeah, wanted to like, wanted them to be into us as well. And the idea of touring with us, I mean, we never really had that hard of a time doing it. We had a hard time like agreeing about it, but you know, PBC had a hard time agreeing about most everything, you know, like, and, yeah. but that was part of the process, you know, was, was compromising, and getting, you know, working, that's, that's what projects are is, is, is getting through those conversations. And do you try to keep like the bands like closer to your, to your sound or do you enjoy like the more mixed bills? A little bit of both, you know, yeah. we, we try to go not so like, we never had enough clout. I feel like if you are like at the level, like turnstiles at right now, you can <laughs> right. just do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. You know, like the tour is going to be good no matter what we were always at that point where we're like, we have to be a little strategic because like, we're not that good where the tour is going to just like sell out with just us. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to think about like, what is a package that makes sense yeah. and will do well. Um, but we would, we, if we had gotten to that point, we would have definitely done more diverse bills for sure. Yeah. Um, did people really used to come up to you and think you were going to be like some big dude with a beard based off what you heard on the albums? Yeah, that happened a lot. <laughs> I heard especially, that in like an interview. <laughs> especially in the early days before like people knew what we looked like more. But yeah. when we when we showed up to the first to the red or the better recording, um, John was like, which one of you guys is the singer? Which one of you guys sang on this demo? And I was like, oh, it's me. And he's like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, people thought I looked a lot different than I actually did for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, 
Clash Battle Guilt Pride has got to be one of my favorite album covers from you guys because, you know, it just screams home. It instantly makes me think of Western New York. Um, I'm guessing you guys, you, you, you already actually mentioned this, that you used the same guy for all the artwork for the albums. Um, did the same guy do Death Chorus too? He did, yeah. Okay, okay, perfect. And we, we very distinctly wanted to bring back the uh, Jarhead motif yeah um and and all that stuff honestly for that's one of my favorite record covers is that cover that's i i think that's the best designed and looking record cover and we actually had a big banner of that record cover a big backdrop made of that record cover for a tour we were doing and i loved fucking looking at that thing i thought it looked so cool i still love the way that record cover looks it looks so cool to me for death course not clash right for death course i like the way clash looks too for sure yeah um but i i just i love the colors of the death course one i love the motif yeah they pop Um, yeah it's really cool and this time you guys switched over to Brian McTurnan, who has worked with many notable bands like Hot Water Music, Circus Survive, and Turnstile, like we mentioned. How is this recording process, and how did you enjoy doing this one in Baltimore? For Clash. Um, yeah. yeah um, Brian was always the dream. He was top of the mountain for us, always. Uh, just the bands we grew up listening to and liking, they all came from Salad Days. Um, strike anywhere majority rule trial by fire all those like jade tree records that went to him we just were obsessed with how those records sounded and just the idea i mean honestly recording at salad days was probably more of like a holy shit than than anything else despite the fact that it came a little later in our career But um, working with Brian was incredible. He's a wonderful person. He's a great producer. He's like super fun to work with. And he's a songwriter. So like that was probably the most valuable like pre-production experience for us is like he helped us like finish writing the songs in a certain way. And he was, it was just, that was the dream was to record at Salad Day Studio at some point. Mm -hmm. And he we were like courting different producers at that time, going out to dinners. And yeah. like when we met and had dinner with him, it just, it, it was a no brainer. I mean, it, it, at the, at that time in his career, he was doing different, he was doing like metally things or like, like um, metal core kind of bands, like successful metal core bands. He was making good money doing those kinds of things. And I think for him, he was like trying to return to form a little bit and trying to get back to like those Jade tree style bands, like strike anywhere and the bands that we loved. And he saw that, that, that was in our eyes and that's where we were from. We saw that in him. And I think he was like, this band is holding, is carrying the torch for those bands. And I want to be a part of that for them. So cool. And, and that, and we, we went to him and that started like balance and composure yeah actually no balance went first to him actually balance might have really? gone before we did i think I can't, I can't remember um so yeah it was it was really exciting for us to work for him it was very meaningful for us to work with him. yeah and you said majority rule they're from rochester too right majority rule was from richmond but they were a rochester band because they oh, were just a band that randomly got big in rochester yeah yeah true okay um they were from dc and richmond i think oh cool 
has there ever been like certain songs from this record or others that you were shocked became the biggest songs in the album? You like, I remember an interview where you said you were surprised that the song Pawner became a staple at shows. Yeah, I was surprised at that one. Um, the whole story of that song is weird because going into that record that originally to us was like, that's going to be like track eight. That's going to be like, <laughs> really, that's going to be like a break before we close the album yeah. conceptually. And then, you know, I, I think I've told this story before, but it was Jono, the drummer of the Swellers, who was hanging out in our van one day when we were getting those mixes back. Yeah. And we got the mixes back in chunks. And so we got the mix of Ponder back and he came into the van to listen to some of the mixes. And that was the first and only song he had heard from the new record. And he heard it first. Yeah. So we put it on the car and that's the first song he heard. And he just was like, that's the first song of the record, right? And we're like, no, dude, that's that's like track eight. He's like, no, man, that's the first song. And yeah. we're like, huh, okay. Interesting. Cool. And <laughs> it just worked. And it just worked. Um, so yeah, I was surprised by that one. Also, Living Saints, I didn't think was going to be a big song. I thought that was going to be the weird, quirky punk song wow. that like just carried us from one track to another. I didn't think that song was necessarily going to be a single. I I, I never really know what songs are going to take. We kind of just yeah. wait and see. Mm -hmm. um i'm more surprised when other songs don't take honestly yeah. um but 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 yeah I, I i i i've never been good at like that it makes sense to me after the fact yeah but they're all kind of the same to me going in yeah my buddy adam who was going to co-host this his favorite song is three four tango i love that song yeah i, think it's I love that song that's those are some of my favorite lyrics i've ever written yeah i love the chorus melody of that song that's some of my yeah. best melody writing i've ever done yeah um yeah i really like that song yeah um and i feel like that glamour kills tour that you guys did in 2012 with the wonder years really garnered the band an even bigger fan base at the time um you know polar bear club started to feel like a household name at this point were you guys still riding the high of being in like a successful touring band or were you getting a little burned out at this point I don't know. 2012 was, was getting close to the end because we ended in 2013, just a year yeah. or so later. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, I think we were starting to feel it a little bit and that tour specifically, just because at that point we'd been around a while um, and we had toured with a bunch of bands and that world of music was just trying starting to move on past us you know it's like wonder years were really hitting mm. story so far was really hitting yeah they exploded. and we were we were watching that happen and we were just like i don't i don't really feel a part of this really you know it, it feel like those are great bands and they're yeah. great people and they're very good at what they do but it started growing past us i think or it started going down a road that we didn't see ourselves going down. Yeah. And that's when it first started to feel like maybe we've, this has hit its shelf life. Yeah. Um, because at that point it just was like, okay, cool. Awesome. Those, those bands are great. But like, we were never going to do the things that those bands were doing. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like we were growing out mm -hmm. of, of, of that scene. It felt like, okay, the, or, or actually it was growing past us. We we're like, all right, well, what we're doing, it had, it, it existed in this like really pop punk scene really yeah. well for a minute, 
but now that scene is just going somewhere yeah. else. And I think like you could say a similar thing for title fight, even though they went this way when those bands went that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems like there was a point where like polar bear club was like the, the center of the Venn diagram for those two worlds, like wherever title fight went and wherever story so far and wonder years went at a time, it was all in this space of where polar bear club also was. Yeah. But then it just started going like Different. that. Yeah. And I think PBC, we kind of looked like, all right, they're going there. That's super cool, but that's not really us. They're going there. Okay. That's cool. But that's not really us. Where the hell do we go? We, I think honestly, we were at a point where, we had two choices either end or start over yeah and and refigure it out and figure out like what's really next for us like sonically yeah and point of view wise and we just didn't want to do that we we want we liked what it was and what we did and we wanted it to end there Mm -hmm. but yeah we started getting inklings of it probably around then and I remember we were talking about this earlier when you guys played waiting room in buffalo in 2013 you know I was there and that that show was absolutely insane um, and that was the first waiting room show ever, by the yeah, way. Um, I remember. And unfortunately, that venue only lasted about five years. What it's are a some spot? It was a great freaking spot. Yeah. What, what are some venues that were in like Buffalo and Rochester that you miss that aren't around anymore? I mean, waiting room was short lived, but it was really great. And I certainly so good. miss it. And having a thing like that, just a yeah. venue that's made by musicians, you know, for musicians and all make, makes it's laid out very well it makes sense yeah um so i like playing there i love we used to play the mohawk which still exists i played there recently but like yeah i back. miss playing there in pvc and having it be like what it was then yeah um but honestly the venues are still around that we used to play bugs yeah. are still around yeah true, uh, true we the only place that isn't around is the westcott community center in syracuse where we okay. we did play a lot of awesome shows and had a lot of fun there yeah did you ever play a funeral home? No, that was no. a little before my time. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. So I know you guys don't look back too fondly on the time period surrounding the death chorus recordings, but I personally love the songs on that record, despite your, you know, your voice changing for anybody that doesn't know what happened exactly. Like your voice basically just changed over time. Right. Yeah. And for the record, I love those songs too. I, I yeah. really love those songs. Yeah. That again is some of the, some of the lyric and melody writing that i'm most proud of yeah um what happened on that record was we we actually we demoed songs off that record before we went on this really long tour yeah and the idea of the record the sort of i guess point of view that we were going for yeah let's make a maybe poppier record a more like pop structured record and let's make the voice even harder let's hit the voice harder so we'll get this really cool juxtaposition of these songs with this type of melody yeah and honestly a big big another big influence on the sound of pbc was the band grade Mm -hmm. grade was another sort of stylistic sound that we were like that's really cool not a lot of people do that let's do that and so death chorus was really the idea was kind of like, let's kind of do that, you know, let's do like what grade did a little bit. And so we demoed some songs and they sounded awesome. Voice was sounding great. Mm-hmm. And I never really had a hard time tracking vocals. I, I tracked pretty quickly. Clash, I tracked very quickly. Um, sometimes was a little trying, but like 
you know, you know, got through generally pretty quickly. The demos chasing Hamburg really quickly. The demos for for Death Chorus I tracked super quickly and they just sounded great. It's like awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we demoed them and we 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 demoed them with Will. Yeah. And we we're like, awesome, we're gonna record at this studio. We gotta go on a bunch of tours. We're gonna come back in the spring and we're gonna work on those records. Um and at a point throughout those tours, I noticed my voice just gave up, just stopped. Mm -hmm. And it couldn't do what it could do before. And I was really worried about it. I was super, super worried about it. I was telling myself like, okay, maybe this will go away in a couple weeks, a couple weeks go by. Maybe this will go away on the next tour. Next tour goes by. Okay, maybe this will just fix itself in the studio. Okay, now we're in the studio. And it's not working. It's just the voice is just gone. It's different now. Mm -hmm. And so the concept of the record is gone. It, it's not really there. And we just kind of had to forge ahead. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was trying. I don't look fondly back fondly on it because it was so stressful for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that when I hear those songs, I have a little stress recall. I, I very quickly go back to that place of, very anxiously being worried about like, fuck, this isn't going to work. Like this isn't the concept. This isn't PBC. This mm -hmm. isn't like, like doing what we had planned to do seemed like a really exciting next step for PBC. Mm -hmm. It felt like we were doing something out a little outside of what PBC was up until that point. Mm -hmm. um, so we did it and we we made a cool record sounds amazing love the songs but you know it just feels a little different from everything else because of that um i felt at the time i had to explain it i i i don't know if that was the right move in hindsight i mean this is fucking 10 years ago at this point so who cares yeah um but i felt like i had to like say something about it i, I don't know if i should have done that people tried to talk me out of that yeah. But I felt strongly at the time that it was the right thing to do. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I look back on it conflicted. You know, I recognize from the outside it's a good record and people like that record and the songs are good. But I have such a different relationship to it than everyone else does. And that's just what it is making records. You kind of you give up your opinion of the record because you're the one who's made it. You're going to have a yeah, different absolutely. relationship to it. So I, I recognize that. But um it was a wonderful learning opportunity. Will Yip is. He's the best. Yeah. You know, no, this is no news to anyone. He's one of the greatest things going right now. Yeah. Um, so I was really happy to get the opportunity to work with him and make that record. No, nah, man, it's, it's awesome. It's a great record. I think it was a good bookend, honestly. And, you know, especially with what you went through, like, I, I feel like it's, it's got its place in time. Yeah. But it definitely, you know, it was just a good end. I feel like the band had such a good longevity and just the whole catalog's great to me. Um, I am looking back on the whole big picture. I, I yeah. like that it ended when it did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you pretty much quit music cold turkey for the few years after PBC called it a day. Um, did this time off give you that much needed break to learn to appreciate music again? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't do music after PBC ended for like two years. I, I don't even know if I listened to music in that time, really. I mean, intently. Um, I, I, I just was so burnt out and needed such a reset. 
Mm -hmm. Honestly, it was probably the reset that PBC would have needed if we were to keep going, but it was just, we didn't. So I took that reset for myself. And I think we all kind of did, mm -hmm. at least Chris and I, because we were the ones there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I had to learn like what I loved about music again and how I connected with it as a listener, because I was, I had completely lost that. You know, I had no life. I had no, I had nothing to express. My life was making music. So how do I express myself through music if all I do is make music? And all I think of as myself as someone who makes music. Um, so I had to have a normal life again for a little bit mm -hmm. and just reset. And then it just came back yeah. hard, like a flood, like floodgates, you know, like just opened up and it was like, I couldn't stop writing songs. I wrote so many songs that I just, th I threw away. A yeah. lot of them became what was the Wax Bottles EP, but there was probably yeah. like, 20 songs that could have been for that ep those were just the ones that like made it through yeah um but it was it was really i look really finally back on that time when it came back like that it was really inspiring time and the wax bottles ep that slaps like do you ever think you're gonna that. do more with that or you think that's that's over no was... i think we'll do something again i okay, think cool. we'll do more um i because it was such a fun and wonderful creative process working with those people uh benny and pierre and nate and jasmine we just worked together so well it, it would be really a shame if we never did anything again yeah. but you know nate and jazz have a kid i'm about to have a kid yeah benny's in gaslight pierre lives in yeah. new jersey so it'll be challenging but um you'll make it happen we'll make it happen for sure we'll make um, it happen for sure and you, you, you have a new semi newer project called shy tooth, which, you know, I think that's magnificent. Uh, the first record ultra suede is fantastic. Uh, didn't you guys just finish the follow-up to that recently? We haven't finished it. Okay. Um, we're working on it now. Uh, essentially we're, <clears throat> um, we're trying to record it all ourselves as much okay. as we can. Um, so we, I've made some investments in better recording equipment. Um, we're trying to convert our practice space into being more recorder friendly. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to try and do it ourselves. That's sick. And uh, it's written. Yeah. The record is completely written. It's demoed. Yeah. There's a bunch of songs. Um, we just have to sit down and start doing it. And so come through. It. That's, that's, our, that's my next kind of project is, is that. And um, I love that band. I kind of think of it as my main thing right now. It's kind of my main band. Yeah. Um, and I am, I am excited to see where it goes because I love that last record too, but I want to do something new for the next one. As everyone does, they always want to rebel against the last record, yeah. but um, we're still finding it, you know? Yeah. And I am so excited to like, keep finding it. You know, yeah. that's like my, that band is like my big passion right now. Yeah. It's worth the wait. Yeah. Uh, and you're playing guitar in bad bloom and you guys have a show at the bug jar on September 30th. Yes. Looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be really fun. That's like, that has been such a learning experience for me. And it's really, that's, that's Jay and Kate's band. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just kind of in it yeah, helping yeah. them. Yeah, of course. Um, So it's been really nice to just be the second guitar player of a band and not like not have to worry about the decisions. Yeah. The focus. Yeah. But also as a guitarist, I've learned so much playing in that band because it's just such a different style and I play such different kinds of things in that band. Yeah, it's informed my guitar playing so much. Yeah, Kyle was originally going to be in, in that band, right? I think so. Kyle, Kyle who? Kyle O'Neill. 
Oh, possibly. Yeah. There was yeah. talk of that. There was talk. We were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think funny. logistically it just didn't work out, but there was a yeah. time when that was talked about. Yeah. I mean, you're like right there. They live close to you, right? Jay and Kate do now. Yeah. But at the time when Kyle was possibly going to be in it, they were living in Queens. And oh, so cool. I think they were like, oh, we can be like a bi-coastal band. Kyle can fly to New York or whatever. He, Mikhail yeah. might have even been toying with moving to New York at the time. Yeah. Um, but now they live in Rochester and so they live near me, but yeah. That's awesome. Yes. So how does it feel like to have like a whole like refreshing like music, uh, like two different new, new projects to be like focused on that's a new sound and everything? I mean, it's fantastic. And also yeah. I'm a very happy person now. Like I, I, there was a, there was a long time in PBC where I was pretty depressed. Yeah. Um, I didn't know like the kind of person I was and the kind of like life I wanted. Yeah. And f- this balance that I have now, I can't imagine living my life any other way like this, yeah. this, maybe you would call it like a hobby, but I yeah. don't, it's still really serious to me and I, I work hard at it, Yeah, no, but I, I also have a job. I have yeah. a nine to five job and I have a family and a life. Yeah. Um, and for me, I have to have that balance. One yeah. thing informs the other. Yep. Like I write better songs now because I have that balance mm-hmm. and I appreciate my friends and family more because I have the creative side, you know, mm-hmm. the, this, the balance of like having a life and reflecting on your life through art yeah. and music. That's really important to me. And that's just Definitely. made me a more well-rounded person. At least I feel better.
sounds like you guys have a lot of fun with the pedals on shy tooth. Yeah, we do. For yeah. sure. We probably need to tone it down, but <laughs> it uh, is fun, yeah. super stoked to hear what's next for that. But um, yeah. when you were in PBC, you did get to play warp tour a few times. So yes. how was that? Hard. It was hard. Um, yeah. A lot of hard work, fun, a lot of good people. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was worth it in the end because it is really expensive to do that tour, but you do, yeah. do get paid well. So you can like cover the cost. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think about that sometimes, whether or not it was like right for us to be there or not. I think, yeah, yeah we, we made a couple new fans. Sure. But, um, I don't know if I liked necessarily like aligning polar bear club with the warp tour brand. Yeah. Um, which there, there's a lot of bands that can do that and do it really every time I die. Is yeah, a great yeah. example. They're a very credible, good band that like they fit into that world really well. And, right. and I don't mean, I don't, there's a lot of dog shit bands that are a part of that world. There's yeah. a lot of fucking awful crap that's a part of that world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying every time I die fits in with all that crap. I'm saying yeah. they're a band that they have the right sound. They, they are the right like mix of like fun and heaviness and like they rise above that crap exactly yeah i don't know if pbc like did that as well as they did and so like i don't know if we were ever supposed to so sometimes i think back about it i'm like yeah maybe we shouldn't have done that but Mm -hmm. also we were just like fuck it we'll do it whatever who cares who cares we'll go and try we always more appreciated the challenge to try and fit into that world yeah um and that challenge paid off in a lot of circumstances i don't know if it entirely did there but yeah it, it was it was a good challenge to have do you guys ever have any notable van accidents or stolen gear incidents? Knock on wood. We, we never had any gnarly accidents. That's good. The only theft we ever dealt with was one time Chris's computer got stolen out of the van in yeah. Canada. Yeah. We never had serious instrument theft. We, we got out before that made its way to us. Yeah. A lot of these bands, like still nowadays, I see put like all these stick, these band stickers on like the back of their bumper though. And I feel like that makes it super obvious. Like you don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, you know what a lot of bands are doing now is their, um, church church stickers, their traditional church stickers, (laughs) or they're like geo, they're GPS tagging their stuff and their van and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. Seems like it's gotten a lot worse. Glad I don't have to do it. (laughs) All right. We got a couple more and then the speed round will be out of here. All right. Okay. So you weren't okay. Well, you already answered that one, actually. Let's see here. Talk a little bit about the time you almost got killed by a freight elevator. <laughs> yeah, I think about that like once a week. Yeah, that's crazy. That was recording the wax bottles EP. Yep. And we went to this studio that was in this like warehouse and a really cool studio. Um, you load the studios on the second floor of the warehouse. You yeah. load the um, gear on a freight elevator and then you send it up and you go up and get it. Yeah. I didn't know that this freight elevator was defective. And what it did was it always went up to the third floor and then came back down to the second. Yeah. And you know how freight elevators are? They have like these doors that come up. Yeah. You close those and then you get to a cage that you open up and you put your stuff onto the yeah. freight. And so... I put our stuff on the freight, sent it up. I go up to wait for it. I stick my head over the gate to look down to see where the stuff is. And I pull my head back and I'm like, anyone know where the stuff is? And like, as I pull my head back, it's coming back down from the third floor. I avoided death by like 
a fraction and I, I think about it all the time. I would have broken my neck. I would have been completely crushed if I didn't time that better. I, I, I think about it all the time. It's, 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 and Nate and Jasmine from Wax Bottles were right there. They saw it happen. Yeah. They too are like, Jesus Christ. I think about that all the time. I'm like, yeah, me too. It's fucking insane. Wow. How fast do those come down? Is it slow or is it kind of quick? Moderately. I mean, not yeah. super slow, but moderately yeah. fast. Yeah. I don't know if you ever seen the movie Halloween H2O, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, oh, that's yeah. what it made me think of. Yep. Yeah, very, not too far off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you already said about New York City. Let's see here. Wax bottles. So what's your ultimate goal for the rest of this year? What are you hoping to accomplish? Well, the rest of this year is all about baby stuff, you know, so that's really yeah. what it is. This year is just going to be um, just baby, 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 which I'm really excited about. And that's my goal is to not die <laughs> not 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 lose my mind doing that um yeah. but after that gets more into a groove i mean i'm focused on writing and recording records and 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 writing writing mm. you know those are my big goals is, is finish you know script writing stuff finish the next shy tooth record mm -hmm. and do and 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 be be a person that that's my life you know raising yeah. a son having a job and writing recording music and writing fiction of some kind that's awesome that's gonna certainly keep me pretty busy but but um that's kind of my goal is to find the balance of, of those things and still be able to output in a serious way you know enough to to to, to be substantive and meaningful for for people who listen to music you know yeah that's fantastic um so we reached the speed round. It's just a bunch of bullshit questions I ask, and okay. you answered about the best of your ability. Okay. Uh, favorite rap album. Favorite rap album. Um, I really like that first DMX record. Or no, I guess the second one, the one with um, the big singles on it. I love that record. I can't remember the name of it. X gonna give it to you. Yeah, I really like that record. That record yeah. is really good. Um, That's great. I also like, I mean, just my age, I have to really be into the chronic and the chronic redo album to chronic 2001 or whatever. Yeah. Love those records. Love Snoop Dogg's first record because just at that age, I was just obsessed with that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you asked for one. I know I'm giving you a couple. Oh, that's uh, I'll, I'll stop there, but no, I, I do. Like, <laughs> There's so many good those ones. Are, those are probably like basic too, but that, that's, that's my relationship to hip hop is probably kind of basic. Yeah, no, I know you're you're a rap fan though. Um, yeah. Are you aware of like Benny the Butcher and all those Buffalo rappers like Westside Gun? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I'm not tapped into that scene. Okay. Um, and my real, I when I, I get into like hip hop as I hear it, I I'm not I'm not like in the world, you know. Like yeah. I, and and I'm even like I hear something I like, and I'm like, oh shit, I need this record. Yeah. And then I get it, and I get really I, honestly, I'm kind of like that about all music. Yeah, I am. I have. I'm. I think you would think because I'm in a band and a songwriter and really into music that I am a certain way. That I, I'm not like a normal music listener. Like, like I said, I don't collect vinyl. Yeah. Um, I also don't know like music history stuff that well. When I get into a band, I get into like one record and mm -hmm. I get obsessed with that one record. I'm more of a quality than quantity music listener there's a lot of bands I don't know and I don't know anything about that you'd, you'd be surprised at, but I don't 
I, I approach like my fandom to music and to film a little bit as like, I've got my entire life and I love discovering new stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go slow. Mm-hmm. I go slow with my music discovery and like, I'll just be into like this one record for a really long time yeah. and I'll miss everything else and I'll get to it at some point. Yeah. But that's kind of how I am with hip hop too. Same, same kind of thing. No, that's awesome. What's your uh, favorite Lord of the Rings character? My favorite Lord of the Rings character is um, I really like Tom Bombadil. And I know that's like the niche Lord of the Rings fan thing to say, because he's never been in one of the movies, but I really <laughs> love Tom Bombadil, but I love, I, you know what? It's changes over time. I'm really into Elrond right now. Mm-hmm. I really love Lord Elrond. And I'll tell you what cemented that for me was watching the, the Hobbit movies recently and playing the, um, the Hobbit, the, the, the Middle Earth games, um, War of Mordor or whatever. I can't remember what the two Xbox games are, but they're really good. Yeah. I just fucking think Elrond is so fucking cool. Um, I love him. Sick. Um, grape jelly or strawberry jelly? Strawberry. I can't stand grape jelly. Really? Yeah. Sorry. Man. <laughs> Sc- scariest movie you've ever seen? I think the scariest movie of all time is The Exorcist. I don't think you can get scarier than The Exorcist. Yeah, it's great. Actually, I just went to The Exorcist stairs a couple months ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did like a big road trip and we finally did that. <laughs> and I, I got this awesome picture. Actually, yeah. I laid down on the ground just like the, the guy is at the end. I, right. I, I think that is the scariest movie. Um, just just because like the nature, the subject matter, the, yeah. the effects, the direction, the, the script, the implications of it, like the, the, yeah. the performances in it, like everything. It's just like, there's, there's nothing like that. There's something it, about demons and like the devil and just religion based horror movies that just are so much scarier. I don't know. Well, what this is. is also why Jurassic park is so effective because, and this is why yeah. alien is so effective Yeah, because to everyone in the world of the film, it's being played as if it's really happening in real life. Everyone who's watching it happen, all the background actors, all the main actors, they're acting so well. They, it feels like what it would feel like if that was really happening. That's why Alien is so effective to me and one of my favorite movies of all time. Classic. Because it's just, you're seeing real life. And then all of a sudden an alien pops out of someone's chest. And the reaction to it and the buildup to it is almost neo-realistic it's it's so real like everyone's conversing and talking as you would in real life and i think the exorcism has that as well you got to be a fan of the thing right john carpenters of course yeah yeah of of course course. i love the thing now i i think the thing i hold in such high regard i don't think it's like the scariest but it's certainly i think the thing is maybe the best horror movie that was ever made really i think is the thing i think the scariest though is the exorcist yeah and the thing was way before its time. Like, honestly, when that came out, they were, it, it didn't get good critic reviews at all. No, like, no. They shat on it. And, you know, especially with those effects being way came out the same time. year as Blade Runner. And same thing there. It's totally horrible reviews on Blade Runner when it first came out. And ET, right? Wasn't that the same summer? Uh, this would be 82, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. What's your favorite Polar Bear Club song? My favorite Polar Bear Club song, I think, is Ponder. Really? Yeah, nice. I think so. I think be- for a couple reasons. Um, I think it just came out really well. Yeah. And it was the it was one of those songs. It was one that I wrote, and it was very easy to write. Every now and again, when you write a lot of songs, 
Yeah. One will just like fall out. Yeah. It'll just like write itself essentially. And that song was one of those songs that just wrote itself. And I just have fond memories of it for that reason. And, and I just like the way it came out. And yeah, I just like, I just like that song. I think it, I think it embodies everything we were about, you know, yeah. really well. No, absolutely. I'd have to. Agree and I'm proud you. of the lyrics. I like the lyrics a lot too. I'm proud of those lyrics. Yeah. Starts off so slow too. And just like yeah. perfect. And then just comes in, just uh, kills you. I, like I love it. Um, favorite every time I die record. Um, I really, so I, hmm. I being from this area, I have a, you know, maybe different relationship to, to every time I die. I really like the second record, um, hot damn. hot damn. Yeah. Um, I really, really like that record. I even really like burial, uh, Flap anymore. yeah, I really like that too. There's a video of me that I have. One of the best shows I've ever been to was in a lodge in Rochester. It was, let me see if I can remember. It was Hope Conspiracy, Thursday. Oh my God, I got to see this. Carry on. And every time I die. Holy shit. There's a video of me. I haven't seen it in a while. I'll have to find it. Please. I think it's right when Hot Damn. Actually, hold on a second. (laughs) I can't wait for this. No, no, no. I'm not not finding the video. I'm not finding (laughs) the video. I'm looking something up because I want to make sure. I'm remembering <laughs> the records correctly. The chronology. Hold on. Well, Burial Plot was the EP. Yeah. The first record was uh, Last Night in Town. I'm talking about Last Night in Town. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about Hot Damn. My favorite every time I have records, Last Night in Town. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not Hot Damn. Yeah. Um, it's Last Night in Town. I love that record. Um, so I, the, I saw Every Time I Die when that record, re- this was like probably a month before last night in time night in town came out they played a lodge in rochester and there's a video of me shirtless moshing (laughs) to a song off of the burial pitting that ap the name i can never remember and i just grab the mic and and sing along to a breakdown and it's all me it's all me for that one moment no way you know that the one breakdown on that ep that's like yeah blood's not mine you fucking (laughs) <laughs> that's all me all that ep me. dude is too shirtless funny. in a in the pit just just going ham oh but, my um, god please find i me. i love hot damn but i sort of like kind of stopped listening to them around that time wow um and became more of like an appreciator like i yeah, yeah. i i i loved last night in town so much yeah. and then hot damn came down i was like this is really good but i just kind of got off into different stuff at that point in my yeah life. no for sure there's a video of me uh, singing along to floater with, he gave me the mic <laughs> that, that yeah. was like out here in LA, like five years back, but it's sick. I want to, I want to see that video. If you ever find it, please. I'll, I'll have to dig through it. But I mean, oh. I mean, they're a band I toured with several times and yeah. could watch them every single night and never, never get bored. No, never get old. Um, and actually, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but, and they're, they're doing that new band now. Um, I don't know what they're called yet. I don't think, I don't even think they know, but they're almost done recording like a new album. Cool. With everybody minus Keith, but I guess Andy's not coming back right now, and he's huh. just gonna focus on wrestling. But his cool. his seat will be saved for him when he wants to come back. Very cool. But that's cool. Um, let's see here. Something you cherish about living in Rochester? Oh man, so much. Honestly, I I think honestly, I cherish. I mean, there's a million ways to answer this question, but I I really do like the 
the film culture in Rochester, um, yeah. being that it's the birthplace of Kodak. It is the supplying city of the actual thing that the stuff is made on or was made on for a long yeah. time. Film is just in the blood of this, this city. And, you know, the Dryden Theater, the Eastman House, the Little, even other theaters, you know, around are, are so, sort of infused with that idea. And I love the fact that I can live in a small town and not sacrifice the cinema, the culture of cinema that, that lives yeah. in, in, that is in Rochester. Mm -hmm. Favorite movie. Could never, could, could never answer it. I just couldn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even try. That's, that's, that's hard. It is it, hard. I mean, I could answer the question for you to, if you were to categorize or, 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 or to, yeah give qualifications like what do i think the best american movie is what who do i think the the best at this is what is the best this movie i, I could do that for you yeah but favorite movie I, I i don't know if i could do i could tell you what my maybe favorite movie is right now and it's heat. okay it's heat um and so i know good. heat is is having a classic big resurgence for sure but that's just um i mean that that's just i think it doesn't get any better than that, yeah. you know, for, for a million yeah. reasons. Um, and that's, that's that type of like hard boiled, like crime cinema stuff is stuff that I, that I really like to, and I really yeah. tend to, but heat is definitely the movie that I'm thinking about a lot these days and yeah. probably would be classified as my favorite movie for a time that was Blade Runner, yeah. you know, for a time that was alien for a time. It was Nashville yeah. for a time. It was, you know, the long goodbye for a time. It was, Jurassic Park, you know, it yeah. always kind of rotates, but um, I could never say one one thing. I don't think I have heat on 4K. I just watched that a couple weeks ago. It was crazy. So yeah, loud, I got the, loud. I got the new 4K too. <laughs> I got the so book. Loud. Have you read the book that came out, the sequel? I saw it at Amoeba yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I'm about halfway it. through it right now. It's really good. Is it it's good? Really good. I yeah. was thinking of picking that up actually. It's it's awesome. I I stopped reading it because I'm I'm saving the rest of it for like baby time. Yeah. Um. I'm halfway in and it is fucking awesome, man. I, I love, I love Michael Mann as a writer. Um, yeah. and, um, it's written in his voice. You know, mm -hmm. you can hear him speaking it as, as you're reading it. And it's, it's, it's good. I love thief too. I love, I love oh, thief. rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, James Conn. James Conn. Yeah, for man, sure. And sucks. I just love, I love crime cinema. I think it like yeah. it's well done character driven crime cinema. The best. It's just, it doesn't get better. I, I recently watched um, Straight Time, which is was a big influence on on Heat and Michael Mann cited as a different influence. It's based off of the book No Beast So Fierce, which is a Great prison movie, a prison book that Dustin Hoffman turned into a movie in the '70s about a criminal who gets out of jail and he just can't find anything else to do with his life. But Rob Banks, and and it's such a good movie and such a great book too. Yeah. I, I read it after I heard Michael Mann talking about it and then got into the film and loved it too. So watched that pretty recently and was really into it. I just added it to my letterbox. His films are so rich. They're just like so good. I just love like, I, have you ever seen the film Friends of Eddie Coyle? No. It's yet. like super dry crime or, or Rafiki, uh, Rafiki um, or sorry, Rafifi, the French crime film that is also very much based off of or taking of pelham one two three classic really like dry crime is something i love so much and heat is not dry 
No, I mean, no, no. heat's not dry at all. No. It's fucking wet. It is, it's, it's wet. It is a moist ass film. Yeah. Um, Moister than thief, an oyster. Thief is a little dry, you know. Um, yeah. Friends of Eddie Coyle is dry as hell. I just love that dry character driven yeah. crime cinema. Do you like mafia films like Goodfellas? I love Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I like love mafia films as a blanketed thing, but I would I would put that in in as crime. Yeah. Um, Infernal Affairs. Love Infernal Affairs. Have you ever seen that? No. Infernal it's, Affairs. It's the movie that The Departed is is a remake of. Let me see here. It's a, a yeah, Japanese one. movie. I've had all these in my watch list. Everything you mentioned, but I didn't see them. <laughs> Infernal Affairs. Yeah, they made a sequel and they're releasing. Um, they just announced they're releasing the entire series of. Um, of foreign films. Let's see. It's Chinese, actually. 2002? I said yeah. it was Japanese and it's Chinese. I hate that I did that. Oh, I do that all um, the time. I don't think I, that's I, a... I, I hate that I did that, but I did. <laughs> it's fine. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's great. It's, it is, the, the Departed is a remake of Infernal Affairs with, with slight variations. Yeah. Um, the original Infernal Affairs is fucking awesome. It's such a good movie. I'm checking that out. Crime movies like that, gangster crime like that stuff i love but mafia stuff i i i like that too i just don't like like sometimes mafia stuff gets like reappropriated to be interpreted in ways it shouldn't like yeah the sopranos or scarface i love the sopranos yeah so good so much so good when you hear people talk about the sopranos though sometimes you're like did you get it though Did you did you really get it? Do you understand that Tony Soprano is like not a person you want to be? Yeah. He's not someone you want to be like. Not at all. He's a, it's a character study on someone like that. And it's about yeah. like how flawed and fucked up that is. Yeah. When people watch stuff like that and don't get that, I, I sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> maybe this isn't the best. But mm-hmm. I, I do like that kind of thing a lot. And I love I love like bank heist movies too, like Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, me too. Classic. Such as, Straight Time is a bank heist movie as well. I as love is that. as is Rafifi. If you if I would highly I saw Rafifi for the first time this year and was just fucking blown away. Blown away. Is that the one that's got the guns on the cover, like the colored guns? Yep. Yeah. 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 I got that on my watch list. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Very very good. And there was a good bank heist movie that's out right now with uh, John Boyega. What was that called? I just i just saw that it was pretty i good. just heard someone talking about it too and i heard it was good can't remember it what good. it's called yeah. it was good uh it's called breaking yeah someone yeah. was just tweeting that that was good a critic that i follow yeah it was it was solid for sure yeah. all right favorite love place to, yeah i love a love a heist favorite place to get wings in buffalo i wouldn't even know i don't even know where to get wings in buffalo really? I've, I've been a vegetarian for so long now oh i didn't know okay yeah I, I, you, if you have a gun to my head and you were like, name one place that serves <laughs> wings in Buffalo, I wouldn't even know what to really? say. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, best director. Again, I, I can't pick. You'd have to, you'd have to qualify for me. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a qualifier on it. Okay. And I think the most like, okay, here's the qualifier I'm going to give. Okay. The most substantial american director on a global stage like like the the best american director that has contributed to world cinema essentially has made american films that 
stand up in world cinema along with any other foreign film director you can think of. Scorsese. And that to me is Robert Altman, I think. Oh, okay. I would say Nashville is probably the greatest American film. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like, look, if you were an alien looking at like global cinema, or sorry, yeah, global cinema, what would America's contribution, what would our best contribution to that be would be Nashville. Did you see his movie Three Women? I've never seen Three Women. I'm starting really to work, good. I'm starting to work my way back through the stuff I haven't seen of Altman's. I've seen obviously the big ones. Uh, Long Goodbye. Love Long Goodbye, McCabe, Nashville, um, The Player, Shortcuts. And then one I watched this year that I loved and has kind of become my favorite is California Split. Really? Absolutely loved it. And I think it might be my favorite Altman movie. I still got to see that one. Very good. And then Brewster McCloud. That's a good one. Never seen Brewster. Haven't seen Three Women. Haven't seen. Um, oh, I also saw Secret Honor this year. Highly recommend. It's yeah. where um, Philip Baker Hall plays Richard Nixon, and there's he's the oh, only person cool. in the movie. He's doing a monologue for the entire movie. There's oh my, not yeah. one other person in the movie, and it's so good. That's insane. Really good. You see shortcuts? Yeah, I love shortcuts. It's shortcuts, cool. I love shortcuts. All right, uh, this is a good one. Describe Wegmans in one word. <laughs> in in your current state of how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> unavoidable <laughs> unavoidable worst show you ever played worst show i ever played once played the lobby of a starbucks um <laughs> at boston university Lovely. like during operating hours oh my god that was like not even early on that was like while we were recording clash battle guilt pride no way <laughs> yeah and we got a college gig and like college gigs just pay so well. So like, we were like, we have to go take a break from recording to go pay, play this one show yeah. at Boston university. And we got there and it was in the lobby of their Starbucks. And so <laughs> PBC played like a full set in the middle of this college Starbucks Yeah. during operating hours. It sucked. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, there's worse than that too. Probably. I can't think of it though. Not to bring them up for the millionth time in this interview, but fireworks. Do you ever hear about that story with their that one college show they played where they they got paid like a certain amount of money to play for like an hour or something, but they didn't even have enough songs to play? Yeah, yeah. I I, I must have heard that story before because we've <laughs> been on those circuits with them before, but yeah. It's so funny. And they had to college play like all their songs weird, twice. <laughs> we went to play a college show once thinking we were getting paid five thousand dollars because oh that's that's about what those shows pay. Wow. This Boston University show paid $4,000. That's crazy. And we were like, we yes. have to go do that. Yeah. And so we got went to go doing one thinking we were getting paid $5,000 and we get, we're only getting paid $500. And we were like, uh, do we say something? It feels weird to be like, actually, yeah. we were expecting $5,000. <laughs> like, how yeah. do you do that? We just ended up not saying anything. Yeah. Let's take the hit. Yeah. All right. Uh, best place to get food in Rochester. Right now it's Pizza Wizard. Pizza wizard. Okay. Yeah. Favorite garbage plate spot when you were vegetarian, I guess. I'll go even when I was vegetarian dogtown. Dogtown has great dogtown's ones. the solid yeah. spot. Redfern has good ones too. Now actually. Yeah. Nick Tahoe's is classic, but I don't think it's as good as dogtown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, best video game. I don't know. I, I'm not like a huge video game person. Yeah. Same. I, I can't even answer everything. I'm thinking is stupid. I, I mean, Pac-Man. 
I do like Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like some of those older games, though. Like, I had Psychic Channel when I was younger, and I feel like I played yeah. a lot of really weird games that people didn't yeah. know about. Like, that, like, fall, the fall one about, like, falling into a pit. There was, like, an old yeah. Sega version of that that I like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite record store when, I guess, when you did collect or if you do. Well, there was a place in Rochester that was called Fantastic Records that doesn't exist anymore. And it was yeah. hands down the best record store I ever went to. Uh, it's a yeah. paint store now. It closed a while ago, but I love that place. Yeah. Uh, something you got in trouble for in high school. In high school, I got in trouble for listening to the Deftones. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. The explicit content of some of their music got, got me grounded and my tape taken away. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I brought uh, My Chemical Romance's Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge to my elementary school. And this one girl in my class wanted to tell the teacher on me because it said the F word on the back. Ooh. And I, I still remember that. It was yep. really stupid. Um, biggest regret? Um, hmm. I, I, uh, I think I regret huh. everything. There are things I regret with Polar Bear Club. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you asking about? Because I mean, I have like, <laughs> everyone kind of regrets not like going and learning how to code, right? Like <laughs> software development regrets. Everyone has yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it could be you any. know, I, I maybe would have like, everyone would have done their life a little bit differently. Like I, I probably would have like went to school for something more that made more sense. And maybe I would have, started like working professionally sooner you know uh, yeah. maybe i guess but I, I like the way my life panned out i think i regret um i think i regret not sitting down in polar bear club and and figuring out more about who we were instead of just like letting it happen there was benefits to just letting it happen but i think we could have benefited from having more of a unified point of view amongst us as a group mm -hmm. and sitting down and being like, what are we all about? And like, what is our point of view as a, as creators? You know um, I think my regret is like not figuring that out with mm -hmm. them. Um, and it's not even a huge regret, but I think as a group, we just went with the flow, you know, and we had fun and we did what felt right. And that was great for a lot of it, but there was a part that was missing that like when we were faced with a decision and needing some guidance on whether to say yes or no, I think if we had talked about like, what's our mission statement? Like, what are we trying to do? What are we all about? If we had had discussions like that, I think some of those conversations, some of those decisions would have been easier yeah. to say like, no, this isn't in line with who we are. We're not going to do this. Um, but we, we were too young. We didn't know that that was an important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you going to be for Halloween? Two things, actually. Um, if our baby's not here yet, we, we have a before and after Halloween costume. So before yeah. Halloween, before if our baby's not here, my wife is going to be pregnant, Trudy, and I will be Officer Jim Dangle from Reno 911. <laughs> when the baby is here, we're all going to be characters from the Very Hungry Caterpillar book. Oh, and I, I think that. I'm going to be a I'm going to be an apple and the baby is going to be the caterpillar and my wife's amazing be fruit. Yeah. That's, that's my that. wife's idea. That's not my idea. She came up with that. That was like my favorite book growing up too. Yeah. Hers too. 
classic. Yeah. All right. Um, last item you threw at someone. <laughs> <laughs> I always love asking this because we always get crazy. Someone? I I threw a tape measure at my wife, I guess. <laughs> what was I that guess. today? It was not too long ago, but she like asked <laughs> to see it. It wasn't out of anger. <laughs> she like, give me that. I was like, hey, here you go. That's amazing. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> have you ever gotten hurt while performing? That's such a good question. Wow. Um, <laughs> I have, yes. I, I've thrown my back out before while performing. Really? Yeah. Um, not in PBC. Well, in PBC, I have performed with a thrown out back, but I didn't throw it out performing. But in another band I was in, I, I threw my back out on stage and it was scary and was like, oh, fuck, I, I really hurt myself here. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Um, have you ever, <laughs> this is another stupid question. Have you ever gotten absolutely annihilated in a mosh pit? <laughs> yes, I have. Um, you did. <laughs> that that I, one show. I, I maybe was. I was annihilated in a Bane mosh pit, but I also, um, you know what? Two things. Once I got hit in the face with a microphone, this, this tooth is partially fake. Oh, my but God. Actual annihilation in a pit. Um, when I was in high school, a band that I was obsessed with was Kid Dynamite. And oh, yeah. I got into them after they had broken up. And this was before every single band reunited. This was before yeah. that. Okay. So Kid Dynamite announced they were going to reunite. I was a senior in high school yeah. and they were going to reunite at the church in Philly. And I was like, there's absolutely no way that I won't be there. You're like, it's I. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I have to be. I'm yeah. Obsessed. It was perfect timing for me and my my relationship with that band yeah um and so i was there and i wasn't ready for what it was going to be like i sorry my wife's testing a monoxide thing um i had to get out of it i was like shit this is too much for me i gotta get out of here i i, I was like this is insane i'm getting out of this yeah i actually just went that was that was the last polar bear club show wasn't it at the church it was, was it? It. Yep. yeah I went there for the first time back in June. I saw that band, no pressure there. Cool. Um, but yeah, I remember they like keep Great those, show. they keep those freaking ceiling fans running. Yeah. So when you're crowd surfing, you're like almost going to be thrown up into one of those things. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's dangerous. scary. I and love get, that place. Yeah. And it's so hot. You literally have to like evacuate after every band. It's crazy. Oh yeah. It's insane. All right, here we go. Last, last one. What are you most proud of? Oh man. I, I, I am really proud of, of all of the Polar Rip Club records. I'm proud that we, like, we were who we were and did it the way we did. I am really proud of that. But I'm also proud that we, like, the way we ended it, that we ended it on our terms. Yeah. And we all look back on it fondly. There's no drama. There's no beef. Mm -hmm. It just ended when it had to end. Um, I'm proud that like, that's a part of my life and who I am now, but, but like, you know, I'm, I, I I'm kind of proud of who I am now, you know, yeah. honestly, maybe more so than who I was then. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I think I was so focused on the band back then and I, that's what I valued. And I didn't really know about other aspects of life. And I'm proud that I found the balance of that and that I, I know about those other aspects of life now, you know, family relationships, 
being there for other people, mm-hmm. you know, helping other people in your life, those kinds of things. Those are the kinds of things when you're on a band on tour, just, you don't do it. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's it's, it happens without you. And so you get home and you're kind of a ghost in your own life in some way. So I, I, I'm, 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 I'm proud of who I am now, but it's not without who I was then, you know? Yeah. And you guys played your part. You left a time capsule for so many kids that like, yeah. you know, love that kind of music. And I, I love the fact that you guys weren't the biggest ba- band in the world because I I'm still able to like show friends now, like who you guys are and who you were. And they're, they're those like, bands of those levels are the ones that mean the most to me. I love those yeah. kinds of bands. So I'm proud to be one of those bands for other people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, so thank you for everything you've ever done for music <laughs> then and now, cause I, I'm loving the new stuff too. I can't wait to hear more from shy tooth and bad bloom. So I, I'm excited. It's going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, yeah, where, can, where can your fans find you? So uh, everything is all on my social stuff, which my Instagram and Twitter is still just Jimmy PBC. Yeah. Everything I do, my bands, movie club, it's all linked to on there. Um, the movie club is on discord. Um, and the links are in the, the Instagram and Twitter yeah. profile. So go there, look at the profiles. You'll, you'll find it all from there. And we were talking about the Joe Boynton episode earlier up until now, I'm not going to lie. That was my favorite episode of this podcast <laughs> I've ever done. And I swear to God, I think you might've surpassed it. finally. Oh man. I'm, I've, I, I've, I beat him. I've said this the whole time. Like I, nobody's ever topped that one because I didn't expect him to be as, as sick as he was. And we, we just talked for like three hours like this. Like I didn't even expect this to go more than like two. Um, and yeah, this was, this was probably the best podcast I've ever done. This Shows is the man. This is so I'm much happy fun. I beat him out. No. Yeah. I didn't even know you were like a movie fan until recently. And that, oh, that blew yeah. my mind. And you know, there's not, there's not too many like musicians that you find as like cinephiles, you know, you know, I didn't think that was going to be the case. I, 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 when I started touring, I was expecting, I can't wait to go tour and like hang out with a bunch of mu- music yeah. and movie people. And yeah. it is really not the case. There's, it's not, there's not a lot of stuff there, which is, it's fine, but it's, yeah. uh, we find ourselves where we can. Yeah, no, for sure. Pat, awesome. Pat from Light Years, he loves movies too. He's on, he's on Letterbox, but, <laughs> but yeah, what's your, <laughs> what's your Letterbox for people that want to follow you on there? I think my Letterbox is also Jimmy PPC. Hold on, let's okay. look. Definitely go follow him on there if you're a fan of movies. Yeah, please do, and get into Letterbox because it's awesome. It's the best. Actually, my Letterbox is just Jimmy Stat. Okay, perfect. I think if I'm missing my username here, I kind of want to change mine. Mine's just Kellen Eleven. <laughs> I like that. It's classy. It should be better. It's classy. Keep it. Keep it. Yeah. Jimmy Stout uh, on Letterboxd. Find me. Uh, is there any other shows coming up that you'd want to promote? Just the September 30th, Bad Bloom? Got September 30th with Bad Bloom. Um, and then I'm probably, I'm, I'm like ducking out of social life for a while when, as, when the baby comes. Yeah. And then we'll be back at it with Shy Tooth and, and, and Bad Bloom after that. As you should. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Let's definitely uh, meet up at some point. You know, if I'm ever out there, I would love to we'll see you and uh, see you at a show or something. That'd Shoot be awesome. me a text. We'll, yeah, we'll meet absolutely. Up sure. And if you ever need anything, I'm always here. All right, dude. Yeah, have All a right. good one. Thank you so much for doing this. Talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. The yellow line. The to and from forever side by side. Is that my time? Shout out on the ground and food for flies. Just some words, just some feelings, desperate hands. 
on fallen ceilings. I've gotta take my grab at something great. Something great. So I'm off into the sunset. A little more blesses than king. I've gotta take my grab at something great. I've gotta take my grab at something good 